Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Man, have we got a good one for you today. Today we're going to be talking about character. Does it really matter? You know, we always talk about, yeah, your leaders need character. Character is one of the most important things you want in a leader. But has there ever really been hard data to prove that? Do you believe that a boss with really high character, integrity, honesty, things like that, do you believe that they produce better results? Well, we have a guest coming up. Dr. Fred Keel will be joining us. He's got the hard data that says yes. Character matters. In fact, in many ways, five times more likely to produce. Five times better results even. So we'll be talking about that. Also, uh, just while we're at it, we're going to be, uh, I'm sure, having a, a, a wedding update uh, sometime soon. Apparently, there's some wedding going on, and uh, we'll be getting into that uh, as well. Also, I'm sure, headlines on what's going on in Baltimore. Now, you got to like what's going on in Baltimore. Holy cow, what a, what a really interesting, I think, powerful example. Uh, the difference between yesterday and and the day before, the day of all the riots, and then yesterday seeing a community gather together and start cleaning up and seeing the the, uh, the leaders of the community, I guess maybe more just the – not like the elected leaders, but the community leaders stepping up and um, and making a difference. And then all of a sudden, this is also where we, everyone starts you know, pointing fingers and blaming. So uh, interesting stuff going on. And uh, by the way, uh, driving today, talking about character – I'm driving, no big deal. A lady flies by me in a, a, a big SUV, flies by me. Then a minute later, I'm flying by her. I haven't changed my speed. She's just slowed down significantly. And I look and she's on the phone. And then I see her from behind fly by me again and I look over. She's, she's off the phone. No, off the phone. Okay. <laughs> she speeds ahead of me. Then – she slows down again. Back, and on, I back on the by. phone, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's the most amazing thing. When she's off the phone, she knows to speed up. When she's on the phone, she knows to slow down. No, she's distracted and doesn't oh, okay. know what she's doing. And oh, so I she thought backs she was just being really a, a smart driver. Yeah. I always, whenever I see someone on the freeway and they're in one of the faster lanes yeah. going slower, you start looking and their they're head the keeps sort of yeah. looking downward because they're yeah. texting or looking at their phone. At 70-something miles an hour. Right. And then she speeds up. And so I slow down and get away from them because I mean, you, know, I think you don't know what they're going to do. If, you're, if your speed is determined by your phone call intake, you got, you got to focus. You got a big problem. Yes. You just – if you're going to – Drink or drink and drive. If you're going to text and drive or phone calls and drive, many studies say it's speed. kind of the same: drinking, yeah. Yeah. texting. Yeah. Keep your speed consistent. Right. Just be smart enough to keep your speed up. I use cruise control. I do too. That's the greatest thing ever invented. Then you can just like fiddle around the back seat, move all kinds of oh, yeah. I take luggage, a nap. whatever. Yeah, you can nap, drive with a knee. It's not a big. It's not that, a big. Deal. That was my father's big trick. Look, I can drive with my knee. I'm like, Look, all right. kids, I've got no hands. 
Um, it's the craziest thing. Kids, uh, we, we, I messed my kids up big time because anytime we'd see like an animal that was dead on the side of the road, I'd say, oh, look, kids, the deer is sleeping. Okay. So for the first like 20 years of their life, my kids were always thinking that animals slept on the side of the road. <laughs> and then they finally realized, dude, that, that, that deer is sleeping with his leg wrapped around his head. <laughs> There's a good thought. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, you know. You ever done that, kids, where you put your arm up and your arm falls asleep while you're sleeping? That's like that deer. Uh, anyway, any go, anything going on in the headline? I mean, I don't know if anything's going on in the world. Well, Baltimore is under curfew. Yeah. That, by the way, they're saying that worked. Yeah, they said it, the the protesters there were there were still protests. Yeah. Uh, the the police had to start marching and trying to clear demonstrators. They they threw bottles at the police, picked up the uh, smoke canisters. The cops fired at them and. They were, uh, Cleaned up the street. They, they just moved people out. They were they were isolated. It was small instances. There were still p- uh, ten people who were arrested, and uh, mostly for uh, curfew violations. What do you so, think about the the White Sox Orioles game? I mean, can you so imagine playing po- a game without they, they, they anybody They postponed in the stands? two games: Monday night and Tuesday night. Yeah, those games will be played. Uh, well, one of the games will be played later. They're doing the game that was supposed to be for Wednesday night tonight, right? At two o'clock Eastern, with nobody in the stadium. I mean, which honestly, for baseball, kind of at this point, middle of the week, that's yeah, kind of what you're playing typical. in front of, anyways. It's kind of a mostly empty stadium. In, in a so. way, it's it's got to be kind of fun for the athletes because you probably the game. I wonder if the game will just move faster. I don't because you don't. Oh, is it going to be on TV? Probably. Uh, so they can't move it fast. I'm just thinking. Yeah, you'll have those. You won't have TV breaks. You won't have all these other things. Yeah. Well, it de- it depends with. on who covers it and all that. You, you don't know. have to listen to some Yahoo sing. You know the seventh inning stretch. So. No, they'll do it. You think they'll still do it. It's the game. They'll continue on with the game. Well, who's going to sing it, and who are they going to sing it to? It doesn't matter. It's a performance. Some it's like guy. they're playing a game. It's who a they solo. Pl- who are they playing the game it's for? The seventh inning stretch solo. But also on top of that, the Baltimore Ravens had a. NFL draft party tonight. Yes. And they postponed that or actually canceled it altogether. Yeah, the draft doing is Thursday? Yes. Well, no, so the you're right. Yeah, I get my days mixed up. Yeah. Now. So the draft thing was for the event was for Thursday night. Oh. And because of the curfew running for the rest of the week, right, they they're just canceling it altogether. Ah, see, it's just throwing a real wrench in everything. Well, there's some events. Well, they're, they're looking at it like our event isn't that important. It would have been fun, but, I right. mean, our city's hurting, so we need to back off and, and let things settle down before we start maybe attracting it's crowds the, Maybe again. it's the sports that, it's, that can help Baltimore heal. Could be. That, you know what I mean? It usually allows for a distraction. Sure. So, there's, I mean, that they game— They have a role to play. I imagine that game will be televised, the baseball game, so if you want to watch baseball for— I think it's fantastic. Four and a half hours. Um, in Nepal, yes, the earthquake, the 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 recovery, the recovery. The I guess I don't know if the recovery's actually started. They've they've got you know some of the food and water type uh, supplies getting into Kathmandu. Now right. the problem is getting it out to the small villages out yeah. in the remote areas. Those people aren't seeing any supplies so far. Um, a French rescue team helped pull a survivor from ruins of a building yesterday after he'd spent more than eighty hours surrounded by dead bodies. Oh. A 27-year-old who was on the second floor of a seven-story building when it collapsed. Can you imagine? Said to survive by sheer willpower, a doctor said. United well, Nations says international teams have pulled 14 survivors from the rubble so far. I mean, by the way, these 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 dead bodies, probably a lot of people he knows, right? Yes. <sighs> so 80 hours he survived. So there's, they're, That's they're, amazing. They're still looking. They're still sending in uh, these teams to help uh, 
help find survivors. Supreme Court appears to be split on whether it will rule that there is a constitutional right for same-sex marriage. Yeah. The court. Well, I mean, if we're reading the tea leaves. If we're reading the tea leaves. And we listen to the questions they're asking. If you want to use the cliche. The, the court heard oral arguments on Tuesday that uh, the question whether states that don't have same-sex marriage would have to recognize marriages performed by states that do. Anthony, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy, who is widely seen as a swing vote on the issue, expressed dueling concerns about changing longstanding conceptions of marriage and excluding gay couples from the institution. Yeah, I mean, this has been going on. We've had marriage defined this way forever. As he called it, a millennia. A millennia. And now we're going to come in and we have the nerve to think we can redefine it. And he said it's uh, it's very difficult for the court to say, oh, we know better. Right. But at the same time. And then he asked the other questions yeah. that say, yet, how could we not let the, I mean, the people are already moving this way. and So the court, the decision is expected in June. Again, we wait. Either mid but or so, end. So it's kind of going to come down to Roberts, the Supreme Justice, Court Justice, and Kennedy, right? So, right. you know, what? Do you, this is going to get crazy. Yeah. But, it, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. And, and yeah. just on a legal basis, does the court have the right to step in? Do they need to? Is it something the well, states I, need to figure if out? if they don't, I guess it just goes back to letting the states decide state by state. Yes. Because this is just trying to say – they're trying. If, if they a, rule, it's the entire nation that, yeah. that follows this rule. And then you have to basically, if you're a state, you have to allow other people to have the same rights because it's a federal right, right? It's a Correct. federal act, not just a state act. So, mm, the tangled web. Interesting, interesting stuff. Well, that's a that's quite the it's uh, quite the day in news. Yeah, I mean, and it's not even the other stuff I found too. I mean, you, we're not even getting into the nitty gritty. No. Not yet. But uh, make we, sure we have you, more time. We have a lot of time today. Make sure you tune in, by the way, to the White Sox Orioles game on television. I'm just worried that they're not going to play the same level because they're playing with no one watching. It's kind of like when kids play stickball out front. Somebody gets mad, somebody comes home crying. Uh, folks, we have got a great guest coming up. Dr. Fred Keel will be joining us. He is the author of the book uh, Return on Character The Real Reason Leaders and their companies win. He's going to be uh, talking to us about the, the actual hard data that they've been able to find in their study about how character makes a difference. It makes a difference to the bottom line of the companies that are run by leaders with character. It's a seven-year study, and we'll be getting into that. Character up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, when you think about your boss, your leaders uh, in your organization, I mean, you could even think about political leaders as well. Do you sense that there's a difference between character, them having a character, not being a character, but having character, um, versus just somebody that has a really good business plan? Do you think it matters? Does it make a difference if this person has... Um, you know, a Harvard MBA, is that a better indicator of success or is character a better in- indicator of success? Uh, also, by the way, 
and maybe someone with character that also had a Harvard MBA. That might be really powerful as well. You know, I worked for years for a company called Franklin Covey, which was uh, founded by Stephen Covey, Stephen R. Covey, who wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in the book, one of the things that he did for a doctoral dissertation, I believe it was, was a study on um, literature. He, he was trying to figure out what was the success literature saying was the number one key to success. And what he found is up to about 1970 or so, we we used to always talk about you were more successful if you, you know, hard work, if you were dedicated, if you understood your people, if you could communicate well. We had all of these traits that he felt led to a, a healthier, more effective, um, you know, kind of leadership trait. And he called that character ethic. Character ethic would basically be you were as successful as your ability to be disciplined, as your ability to work hard, to exercise character. He then um, found that about late 1960s, 70s on, we kind of changed our view of what makes a great leader. And what we saw and he saw was a change in the fact that our leaders were personable, they were dynamic, they were energetic, they were motivating, they, they had a lot of charisma, and he saw this shift, and the shift was more kind of what he called a personality ethic. And so he believed in the end that there was this weird shift that happens in people or in leadership and our view of leadership overall from a character-based ethic to a personality ethic. Personality is kind of everything that we see on the outside – and character is everything that is on the inside. And he, he, he then contrasted it to the many, many years of us living in an agrarian society. And because you're living in an agrarian society, you can't, as a farmer, try to just pretend to look like you've got a great farm. You know, eventually you gotta grow something. You gotta have you gotta have, you know, a harvest. And you can't fake certain things. Like on a farm, you can't fake it. But in some parts of our lives, we can fake it. Sometimes in politics, we'll see that the leader might be dynamic. They're an incredible speaker, but they're not honest. They don't have integrity. They don't have you know, a lot of the, the hard work ethic that you might need. But man, they're good looking. Wow. Oh, that is the best looking candidate. And you don't want an ugly candidate. Who wants an ugly president? But it's so interesting. And you've seen this in our discussions when you think about certain politicians I mean, a certain politician, just because they look a certain way, we might actually nominate them. Even if they don't have the experience, but they have the charisma to get elected. Um, anyway, that do you remember? They just barely, by the way, fired. Uh, not, yeah, I guess he quit. But um, the, they're calling him the Downton Abbey congressman. And you remember, he's the guy that uh, basically decorated his... Um, his office to look like Downton Abbey. Do you remember that? I mean, that's like crazy. But man, my office looks fantastic. And so um, his name was Aaron Shock, if you remember, and he he got in trouble. He was a Republican from Illinois, and um, anyway, lost his seat. Basically, we we generally are very uh, personality driven. I feel, and Stephen Covey talked about it as well. And on the show, we, we wanted to talk about the fact, does character matter? Does it actually change results? 
does it impact in the end? And if you had to choose a leader and, a, and somebody to, to kind of push your office or push your company or push your department or push your country, would you rather have charisma, dynamic personality style, you know, flair, or would you rather have somebody that has character and integrity? So think about that. Who would you vote for? When a, when a presidential candidate comes in and we have – they're lining up, folks, 16 or so on the Republican side. They're expecting to come out and, and to fight that good fight and one or two or three maybe on the, uh, the Democratic side. Who are you going to choose? Are, are, do you look at them and say, oh, that guy's a crazy loon. We can't have him be the president. What do you look at? What are you looking for in your leaders? One of the things that um, I would suggest as, as we are all kind of going through this is we've got to get back to the character ethic. Now, it doesn't mean, by the way, you can't do both. But if all of us are trying to build our, rep, our reputation just simply on image and look and, and lots of you know, fluff but no, no content on the inside, we're setting ourselves up. We're, we're going to create problems with that. And that really is, is one of the goals, I, I believe, in the end. It's, it's really the, the goal of every human being is, I believe, to be able to have enough character to deliver. And to me, character is important because it also is going to drive my ability to not just you know look good, but it's also the character is going to help me get the degree I need, the skills I need. It's going to help me volunteer where I need to volunteer, learn what I need to learn, grow the way I need to grow so that I can be the kind of leader I need to be. And so when, we, when you think about you, when you think about your leaders, what do you spend most of your time focusing on? Do you focus on their character, their ability to get the job done? Or do you end up focusing much more time on do they have flair? Do they, do they look right? I just heard a report um, where what's going on in, in uh, Baltimore – one of the, the pastors that's kind of leading the, a lot of the press interviews and is, is trying to motivate the community to get to work, he brought up the very issue with their local elections. And um, from the city councils there and the, you know, the mayor position and the governor position and the senator positions and the, the new president will be electing in the next few years – he says, we need people that can do more than just good PR. We need people that can lead. And these elections are going to make a big difference. Character versus personality. How do you feel you do there? Are you somebody that pushes for the character side of the game? Are you somebody that demands the character side? And does it produce real results for you? Personally, I believe in the end, you can't be a better leader than you have the character to lead. You can't be have more followers than you have character and integrity to, to lead. You can try. You can get a lot of people on your Facebook page. But in the end, if you can't run the local problem, if you can't handle the local disaster, you can't handle it. It's two things have to be there. The character has to be there and the competency to deliver has to be there. And I believe truly you need the character in order to grow the competency. Right, you you got to have the character to go put your head down and work. And if you don't have that, then guess what? We're setting things up for failure. Quite honestly, we're setting it up for a problem. Character versus personality. Where do you stand on that issue? We're going to continue this discussion when we come back. I also am going to get into some of the research that came 
from Dr. Fred Kill, who wrote the book Return on Character, The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. We'll be talking about that when we come back. You know what the research shows? It helps five times more successful. The return, five times more successful are those leaders that have high levels of character as opposed to those that, uh, that just have a great strategy. Interesting, folks. Character, it's coming back. It's actually always been here. We haven't ever lost it. But now we're starting to pay more attention to it as many things are falling around, uh, down around us. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More when we come back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about character. Does it really matter? Having character as a CEO, for example, does it produce better results? Well, again, I was telling you about Stephen Covey's uh, work on character ethic versus personality ethic. But that even that didn't produce, you know, incredibly strong, rigorous research. So our next guest, Dr. Fred Kiel... He's a Ph.D. and co-founder of KRW International. He's also the author of Return on Character, The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. He's also the co-author of the book called Moral Intelligence. And he has found in his research of seven years of uh, research in this landmark study, more than 100 CEOs were studied, over 8,000 of their employees were observed. And in all of that, he's found out, my friends, that high character does uh, influence and lead to higher achievements in companies. Uh, we're so honored to have him, Dr. Fred Kill. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here. Great to have you on the show. Now, talk to me, Fred, about this research because you, you've been able to actually tie then a high kind of character ethic uh, approach to, to managing and leading to results. What, what did you find in your study? Well, we found uh, that the uh, CEOs whose employees rated them strongly or highly on such uh, behaviors as telling the truth and keeping their promises and owning up their own mistakes, uh, acting forgiving when other people make mistakes, and uh, showing that they really care for people as people and not treating them as numbers. We found that those CEOs, compared to the low-character ones, delivered five times the return on assets to the bottom line. Wow. That was really quite amazing. Five times the return on assets, ROA, uh, as those that that weren't rated as highly on their character. That's right. Because yeah. it, it, it seems like what we – oh, well, but did they have a Harvard MBA? I mean that, it's almost like that's where we go, <laughs> isn't it, instead of character? Well, it was, it was interesting in that all of the CEOs in our study were all highly educated. Some of them had PhDs, law degrees, huh. many MBAs. There was no differences between the strong character CEOs and the weak character CEOs on education, nor nor on tenure. They had all been uh, the two groups were had about the same average tenure in their jobs. So, but see, and, and really, the questions yeah. you were asking about character were, well, I guess, were kind of. Um, are they honest? Do they have integrity? Do, do, you, uh, do you trust them, I'm sure, were some of the questions. So, right. There are four. We based our study on four universal moral principles that are, uh, that are honored by all 
uh, people in all cultures around the globe, all parents around the world teach their children to demonstrate integrity, to uh, show responsibility for their own behavior, their own choices, and to be forgiving and, and caring and compassionate for mm. people in, in their tribe. So th- since these are human universal uh, val- moral values, we reasoned that, that those were ones that uh, were easy to measure. So we defined what are the behaviors that leaders show when they are demonstrating integrity? What are the behaviors that they show when they are taking responsibility? What are the behaviors that they show when they're showing forgiveness and compassion? Hmm. And we ended up with 25 of those behavioral uh, items and then used that to to score the uh, character of the of the CEO and the senior team. Oh, beautiful. So, so of the 100 CEOs you uh, evaluated, what percentage of them were seen as having high character? Well, the highest character ones are the ones that we call the virtuoso CEOs, and those were the CEOs whose um, employees said that they almost always demonstrate these behaviors, just very rare exceptions. And that included the members of their senior teams as well. Hmm. And that was about 12% of the uh, total sample. So 12% were, were what you called the virtuoso right. uh, kind of group. What, uh, what was just below virtuoso? Well, we didn't label the ones in the medium range. We only labeled the two extremes. Mm. Yeah. Those at the bottom of the character score, we called the self-focused CEOs because as we looked at their behavior, it was, in fact, very self-focused. Yeah. They were what percentage primary, were self-focused? Yeah, their primary concern of, of those weak character CEOs was their own financial security. Mm. Yeah. And, and what do, do you have a number on what percentage of your whole group were um, self-focused? Well, again, we chose the bottom 10 of that. So okay. there were 84 that we had complete data sets on. So, again, it was about 12% yeah. were the self-focused. And, and, then and the, the rest yeah. were all in between those two extremes. And you found in the virtuosos, they ended up producing roughly you know, uh, five Almost times five more times. return on asset. And they also enjoyed a much higher level of workforce in, engagement, uh-huh. 26% higher. Which is huge because right now engagement is – is the big, you know, talking point because so many of our, you know, employees are disengaged at work. So they they also right. had more engagement in their employees? Yes, yes, huh. definitely. The, you know, Gallup uh, does an annual survey on employee engagement, yeah. and that number hasn't changed over the years. Every year it's about 30% of American workforce says they're engaged, look forward to coming to work, are emotionally committed to the, to the company's goals. 70% say they aren't. Ugh. And... Uh, and that was totally not true for the virtuoso CEOs. It's one of their secrets of success is that they treat the workforce with respect and care and hold them accountable and give them meaningful work, and, and they reap the benefits, which is that magnificent <laughs> return yeah. on assets. Why, where do you think this – I mean, it seems like, Fred, when we were growing up uh, – I mean, not even growing up, hundreds of years ago, this character yeah. was pretty much all you had. You only had your name. And your right. handshake, right? Yeah. So what's gone? Where did it go? Well, you know, I think there's been a big cultural shift in um, American culture in the last 50 years away from sort of honoring the common good to focusing on the self and the me. And that pendulum has just simply swung too far that way. And, and you know, we see it in all kinds of little ways. David Brooks, a uh, conservative who writes for the New York Times, has just published a book called the road to character, and he lays out that whole trend.
transition from the from the cultural norms uh, that we used to honor of honoring our word and and focusing on the common good to shift to focusing on the individual and what's good for the individual. He points mm. out that that you know years ago professional athletes didn't do their little dance in the end zone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that was so disrespectful. You had yeah. too much character to go taunt right. somebody. Yeah, you don't put the spotlight on yourself. Well, now it's that's expected. It's, it's true, huh? And, and yeah, they used to just go celebrate as a team. We scored a touchdown. Right. They, they'd run out of the yeah. end zone and go celebrate as a team or whatever. But right. now it's mm-hmm. yeah. Now, in fact, isn't it interesting? The NFL had to create rules so that we don't celebrate. I mean, not not the NFL. I guess it was the college uh, had to create rules so we don't celebrate in, in a taunting yeah. way. What right. um, when you think about your research, uh, you you also I know have broken it down to kind of how we we form this character, this leadership type of character. Uh, again, just so everybody that's listening, we're talking with Dr. Fred Kill, the author of the book Return on Character and um, the Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. But talk about how we, how do we grow this character? Is it something we can teach? Well, yes. You know, your your character is something that only really you know about and have access to. Uh, but everyone else sees your behavior. You're aware of your intentions, but what other people observe as your behavior, so that we say that how you treat other people is a reflection of your character. And how you treat other people is basically a matter of habits that you've formed early in life. When you first come up to someone you know, you greet them in whatever way is your habit of greeting people. Yeah. You may be a person that is very warm and effusive and gives them a hug, or you might be someone who looks at your shoes and mumbles a hello. You know, I mean, but those are However you behave when you interact with other people are habits that you've acquired over the years. And because they are habits, they can be changed. Uh, we all have had experience in, in when motivated strongly enough, we have, are able to change our personal habits. So you can change your habits, you can, and thereby strengthen how other people perceive your character. Yeah. Do you sense that this uh, character issue... I mean, it seems like it's also leaking into the political world. I mean, we have lower voter turnout. It's like there's kind of a malaise in a way in the political realm. I mean, one thing you you saw in your research is in a corporate environment, having a high character driven leader tends to increase engagement. Do you sense the same would be true in politics? Well, I I think that it is. But, you know, the political field at this point is so sort of – uh, viewed by everybody as being filled with people who don't tell the truth and mm-hmm. you can't trust them, that then it becomes a matter of, of ideology and you go to the votes to you go to the polls to uh, vote your ideology rather than for a candidate that you trust. So yeah. I'm uh, I'm rather discouraged about the whole political scene. <laughs> I bet. No, I bet. And it's interesting, too, because it used to be that our corporate executives – were people that we would rely on, you know, that we trusted yeah. their character and they right. held up our institutions as well. And yet that, you know, through the Enron scandals and I guess, I don't know, the right. 80s, 90s, sometimes our executives didn't necessarily demonstrate it. So I think it's a it's an, a very uh, appropriate topic and uh, book to keep pushing. Um, let's... Well, what we hope, we, we were saying that, you know, well, this is not about altruism. We're trying to appeal to the shareholder's interest of, of increasing the yeah, bottom line. ROI. And, and we show that connection between the character of the leaders and the bottom line, and therefore 
it's in everybody's best interest for the leader to become to strengthen their character habits. I mean, because really, like you say, it increases twenty six percent increase in higher level of workforce engagement, twenty percent right. advantage in in leadership skills, keystone skills like vision, right. strategy, focus, accountability, but then lower risk of lawsuits and audit right. fees and legal issues. Right. Yes. I mean, so duh. Yeah. Right. Duh. Well, this is great you stuff. Know, Deutsche Bank yesterday or recently this week, it was announced that Deutsche Bank was fined over two billion dollars for their uh, breaches in character. Yeah. Oh, so you know it really costs a lot of money. Two billion in character yeah. breach. I mean, yeah. I mean, and yet, the, yet the CEO. I don't know what he makes. He'll probably still make a cool fifty million this year or whatever. They're they're, they're still going to make their money. That's one of the dilemmas. We're going to take a break. We're talking with uh, Dr. Fred Kill, author of the book Return on Character, the Real, the Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. When we come back, we'll get into some of these habits that uh, we need to make sure we're focusing on when it comes to our character. And you be thinking about you. Don't just sit there and think of every leader on earth. Do people look at you as a leader with character? That's one of the goals of the show, to give you the tools to, uh, to create a better life for yourself and the teams you work with. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about character, a return on character, which is a book written by our guest, Dr. Fred Kill. Uh, it's called Return on Character, The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. Do you believe that having a boss or being the boss that, uh, that demonstrates real character traits like, uh, you know, basic things, integrity, compassion, forgiveness, responsibility, do you think that having those traits and being able to create a culture around those traits improves your bottom line? Well, according to our uh, our guest, Dr. Fred Kill, and seven years of rigorous research on the subject with over 100 CEOs, 8,000 employees, the answer, my friends, is yes. Five times increase on your return or return on assets for those leaders that were, he deemed, uh, virtuosos, the top 12% of those 100 um, executives that demonstrated the character. Uh, those people had great returns, incredible returns. And so Dr. Fred Kill's not just trying to you know, talk about, hey, everyone's got to feel good about character. He's saying you ought to feel good about it because it's producing bottom line results. Dr. Kill, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks, Matt. Love having you. And to me, this is, this is great information because it's not just fluffery, right? It's not just feel-good right. feel stuff. You, you've actually found that having integrity creates a real business outcome of more confidence in management. Exactly. It's, uh, it's a, it boils down to how leaders treat people in the workforce. And it's all a matter of habit of how you treat other people. And most people view themselves as treating other people very well. So it's, uh, it's not something that most managers are, are aware of. These are careless habits that they've gotten into over the years that drags down workforce engagement. Hmm. So then another one you talk about, though, is being a compassionate person, which is a form of character, actually right. facilitates collaboration. How do you see that go down? How do you see that happen? 
Well, is these are just the relationships that we observed in the data that we collected, and and um, if you want to increase collaboration, the best driver of that is to show interest in other people and to treat them as people, not as objects. <laughs> that uh, has a great connection to how much collaboration goes on in the organization, especially when the senior senior team demonstrates compassion or caring for people. Yeah, um, forgiveness drives uh, innovation. And if you think about that, that's a pretty obvious kind of connection. If people view that that um, they're not going to be forgiven if they make a well-intentioned mistake, there, and they're not they're not going to risk their career. Yeah. To Why stretch? Take a, take a chance. Yeah. And then responsibility, you say, leads to accountability. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, this is what Grandma teaches, Fred. This is <laughs> this isn't like uh, this isn't business school stuff. Except you're just saying. Regardless of where it's coming from, these principles uh, produce real results. Yes, they really do. And but the real problem is, is that everyone judges themselves as being people of strong character. Mm-hmm. All of the CEOs in our study rated themselves as virtuosos. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's that is that's kind of that's the error, isn't it? That's our thinking that's, that's error. The big error is that we get into our own bubble and we believe our own press releases, <laughs> and we we're you think you know. Lack of workforce engagement is not my problem. It's not anything I'm doing or my management team is doing. It's we got lazy people. Yeah. Well, guess what? That's not the that's not the case. Well, which is it seems like um, you if if this if this data is true, we ought to be hiring for character. It seems like we always fire for a lack of character. Well, I right. guess also a lack of results. But um, it seems like we ought to figure out a way to hire for character. I mean, Absolutely. do you know anybody that's doing that? No, uh, actually, we we don't see that done because up until now, there's been no unified way or, or a valid way of measuring character. But uh, we believe that we've cracked that nut. Now Have you? We've identified yeah. these 25 behaviors that can be assessed, and uh, we're we're happy to move into that space as we uh, as we move along. I hope that your listeners will um, go to our website, returnoncharacter.com. There's a couple of uh, free quizzes and surveys there that people can take that will give them a little bit of a glimpse into how maybe other people see them. Well, and to me, the universal principles of this, it works in a corporation. But, you know, these are ideas that people have noticed, you know, helped run the country store 200 years ago. Absolutely. Right. right. Well, these are universal. Yeah. This would work in Uganda, in Argentina, in Nepal. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Do you sense um, – do you sense that in these organizations you worked with, were they smaller types of organizations? Were they Fortune 100 companies? Is it harder to create these cultures of character uh, in larger organizations? Actually, I don't think that that's a, um, a, a big issue. It has to do with what's going on inside the skin of the senior leaders of the company, what, what their uh, character habits are, because that's what creates the culture down through the organization. Yeah. Now, if you come, a new leadership comes into an organization that has a, a weak character culture, where cheating and not telling the truth and playing politics and all that is sort of the the uh, rules of the game. Uh, it's going to be difficult, and but it can be done. And uh, we're helping some big companies do that right now through our consulting division. Do you? Uh, and, and I guess if you go to return on character. They can find out more information about that as well. Right, right. There are links to our, our website and everything are listed in the book. How's how's the book being received in the business community? It, it, are they attracted to it, or do they still see it as 
You know, you know I gave a, a fluffy. keynote speech yesterday to 125 finance executives, mm-hmm. and I asked them, I said, how many of you would willingly step up to the plate and, and have your character assessed? And 40% of them raised their hands. I was quite pleased and surprised. So there's a great hunger for this. There's a great, intuitively people know that this is true, and now that I've got hard data to show it, People are relieved and they're excited and they want to do something about it. Yeah. It's also interesting, too. I bet there's a lot of people inside companies that have always believed this idea, yeah. maybe haven't seen it, and they've maybe been afraid to to stretch right. out that way. Yeah. Yeah, they haven't had any hard foundation to fall back on that can say, you know, this is true. You know, it's, and people are really, really relieved and happy. I think it's why the book is getting received so well. It's getting a lot of international attention as well. It also seems like, um, you know, all, a lot of the nonprofits, a lot of the, you know, churches, those types of organizations, mm-hmm. they may have already believed in this theory. Um, but again, I think you're validating goodness, goodness carries the, the water. Goodness can make it happen. Um, talk to us just as we wrap up, what should the average person be doing? So if I'm an executive, not even a high executive, a middle manager, I've got a small team. What what should I make sure I'm focusing on to start growing these habits of character? Well, of the 25 character habits that we identified, we focused in on and identified four that if you just focus on these four, if you if you keep your promises, that's really important. You agree to do something, follow through. Secondly, own up to your own mistakes. That's really important because when you own up to your own mistakes, it first of all, assures people that it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And that you're human, so it, it levels the playing ground. And then, you know, when other people make mistakes, you know, have a curious response to their mistakes. The assumption is that there must be something you don't know rather than that they're they're uh, incompetent. Yeah. And then finally, one that really drives engagement is to express an interest in other people's personal goals in their careers. When managers show an interest in how much satisfaction people are getting from their work and how challenged they are, it speaks legions. And those are the things that really engage the workforce. Keep promises, own up to your own mistakes, remain curious when people make mistakes, not necessarily just judgmental, and express interest in their personal goals. I mean, that sounds like right there, the perfect boss. Yep. That's that's a boss I would follow. That's a boss. You're right. That's the one that, well, I'd, I'd go to work for that kind of a person in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, Dr. Fred Kill, we appreciate you, my friend. Great research and a great book. Uh, Highly suggest it. Everybody, go check out the website, returnoncharacter.com, and the book, Return on Character, The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. Well done, my friend. Uh, Great, great stuff. So, folks, think about that. Would you follow a leader that does that? Would you follow the leader that keeps his promises? I mean, so think of, I mean, politicians, community leaders, everybody out there, be listening People want to be able to trust you. Character breeds that trust. But you got to keep your promises. you got to own up to your mistakes. And we've seen it even in the news. Uh, you know, all the time we see people just dodging their own mistakes, blaming, finger-pointing. Own your own mistakes. Remain curious instead of just convicting everybody around you. One of the problems I believe we see in a lot of the talk radio and, and a lot of television and and talk shows is where no one's curious anymore. Everyone's just accusing. We don't need more accusations in a time of Baltimore. We need curiosity to figure out what's really going on. 
And last but not least, uh, make sure that you're expressing interest in other people's goals and dreams. People will always be motivated for you if they sense that you're into uh, helping their dreams come true as well. Good stuff, my friends. We're going to take a break. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show in the books. Done. We'll be back after the break. Uh, I'm going to do some more news, some more headlines, and get into some other interesting topics about uh, do you believe that having a Walmart or a Costco moving into your neighborhood may actually increase your weight? A little uh, more around the belly just because a Costco moved in. We'll be talking about some latest research on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find a better life right here on BYU Radio. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, the place where we uh, help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. That is the goal of the show, to give you the tools so that you can make decisions on how to find and create the best life for you and your family. We want you informed, and uh, we don't want to overwhelm you, but just giving you the ideas and some basic tools. Good morning, and welcome to the program. In the house, uh, Mike Pond is on the board. Yes, sir. Managing our levels effectively. James is back uh, relaxing. He's been very stressed. He's got an upcoming wedding on the 2nd of May. How are we doing, James? Doing fantastic. Um, So you have Mike do your job, and you now sit here and watch Mike do your job because you're stressed about your upcoming wedding. Yeah. Well, I figured also that it was cheaper for me to just outsource my job to Mike. Okay. So Cheaper in that you're going to pay Mike – to do your job. Yeah, I guess so, because he does it for cents. It's actually kind cents of incredible. On the dollar. Yeah. He's half as much as you are. Well, That's the, smart. The thing is, I outsourced my job, too. We yeah, got a ben. new guy Ben's in the in studio. So. And, and, and is, is Ben less expensive than you? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm only paying you like a dollar less. Yeah, so yeah. I'm making a profit You're of like a, a dollar and tw- seven cents or Terry's something. Terry's outsourced this, the, the entire show. This is the the exact <laughs> example of trickle-down economics. This is why it works. Yes. Am I the only one doing my job? Oh, you're well, doing your job. No, yeah, you've outsourced but, it to the other. But producers. you you trickle some of it down to me. Is that what we call it? I I yeah, disperse it, it amongst the team. Yeah. Wow, we're working on acquiring a robot to take your spot. To do my job. Yes, it is a pyramid scheme. Actually, apparently, robots. This is one of the jobs robots can't do. No, oh, dang it. We're, we're working on it. But see, robots. Yeah, robots could do your job. Yeah. I guess technically. No, I don't yeah. know because you're producer, yeah. so you're part of that. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, totally. We're no. irreplaceable. Oh my heavens! This is good news for everybody. Yeah. Um, all right. So James, you're still getting married. Still getting married. Yes. Any update? Um, it's going to be awesome, and yeah. there might be an address change. So I, I think that for your keynote, might have to be in a completely different location. Really? So I know I, that probably throw, puts a bump in your plans, but you know I plan to be with you all day. So I'll just go wherever you're going. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to show up at the wedding. What time's the wedding in the morning? In the afternoon? I mean, it's in the afternoon. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be. I'll. I'll be at. I'll be there, and then I'll just follow you. I'll drive with you. In fact, I'll drive you guys. 
Just the three of us. I'll drive you wherever you want to go. You know, that, that's really kind. I'll be your chauffeur. Highly unnecessary. Yeah, highly I'm unnecessary. just getting that vibe from you. Yeah. Unnecessary? Yeah. Yeah, but that, I want to give. I'm a giver. But you're giving so much already that hey, we, I'd hey, hate hey, to. Hey, hey, hey. I raised you from a pup. I can give. I can give more. All day I'll be with you, right by your side. I'll be in every picture. I'll be in every moment. <clears throat> wow. I'll be there for an hour and 20 minutes doing my toast. I'll be there for another 40 minutes doing my dance. Wow. It keeps on getting bigger. Last time is I'll 90 minutes in a 30-minute dance. <laughs> it's, I know. It's hard to stop when you're so wanting to show love. Wow. Yeah. I'm overwhelmed. You wait till you see what I'm about to do. Then you'll be overwhelmed. And I mean that in the best way possible. Terry seems mad about it. Why are you mad, Terry? Not mad. Are you that right there? You just sounded mad. Not mad. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, any news going on? Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. He's in. You know who that is? Yeah, oh yeah. He's got the Dr. Emmett Brown hairdo. Uh, isn't he like a socialist? Uh, independent. Okay. He's an independent communist. <laughs> However you want to term it. He's more independent than Democrat, but yeah. he's going to run or announce his uh, on Thursday, according to reports, that he'll be the first Democratic challenger for Hillary Clinton. Do you think she sees him as no, a challenger? she sees him as – she's probably laughing. She's, she's like, not going be, for this the will be fun. socialist vote. At least she has someone to debate now. Really? They'll have to have a primary. Well, but I mean – yeah, that's going to be a fun primary. So – He's up there with his crazy hair. She's in a pantsuit of some kind. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> you know what? By the way, tell me that does not have the makings of a great Saturday Night Live skit. Absolutely. That's all we need is somehow <laughs> to turn this into comedy. That is going to be because if you focus too much on it, yeah. it'll become depressing. Yeah, it's politics. It always does. Politics one hundred and one. Twitter co-founders Evan Williams and Jack Dorsey lost almost $750 million in paper wealth Tuesday afternoon. Oh, yeah. Twitter had a bad day. The company posted first quarter revenue that fell short of estimates. The stock fell 18%. They are failing to attract new users and advertisers to the platform. Yes. It's weird because I just started using Twitter a lot. Right. And so you yourself should have drove the stock price up. I thought just by me having a... Twitter. Multiple accounts, by the way. 12-ish. Because you keep activating things and yeah. forgetting what they were. Yeah. <laughs> I have like 15 like, names. What was the password on this one? I yeah. don't know. I don't know. Let's just do another one. I've got followers on 15 different handles. That's bad. Multiple American airline flights were thrown into chaos last night as Why? an issue with onboard iPads used by the pilots made it impossible to take off. Onboard iPads made it so the airplane wouldn't take off. American Airlines confirmed in some cases the flight has had to return to the gate to access a Wi-Fi connection to fix the issue. But we apologize for the inconvenience. That's what their their PR released. Oh, um, interesting. Because the Wi-Fi on the airplane wasn't working probably to run their iPad. What it comes out to is they have a special app yeah. that the, airline, the, the pilots use to access flight data, and they couldn't access the app. The app was crashing. Like, Wi-Fi was probably fine, but the app itself was having a problem. So it was a network issue beyond the iPads, but the iPads were actually shutting off. That's kind of scary. And what they've done is they call this the electronic flight bag, and it replaced 35 pounds of paper manuals that they, uh, that they yeah. have to lug onto the, air, on, onto the airplanes. You've and seen you, those. You've seen, they always wear, carry their big boxes. All these 
Yes. They have their big box and it was full of books. FAA regulation, you had all these all, yeah. the, all this paperwork and documentation now and you just flight need an plans, iPad. and now you have it all on an iPad if it works. until the iPad fails. So just know, all of you in the flying world, you're safe as long as the pilot's <laughs> iPad boots up. If not... So they probably they probably could have flown the airplane. They just yeah. now have their flight plans and all yeah. the stuff. Well, they and how to, to turn the plane on and off. Well, they know how to do that. But. Well, you, I mean, you got it's the ignition switch. You got to have the key. It's hard. So kind of interesting. NFL is India ditching, as it says here, ditching their controversial tax exempt status. Yeah, because it has become a distraction, says uh, Commissioner. Well, because it's Goodell. making billions of dollars, and it doesn't seem like it's a tax free entity. Yes. That, that that's and it also comes back to the uh, uh, spousal abuse type situations, the domestic yeah. violence that that brought it into focus because then people are like, well, you're, Hold it. these things are bad, but why are you guys tax exempt? Why are you a charity? How much did Goodell make? Yeah, any sort of attention is brought brought into that. So uh, they're I mean, gonna... U- UNICEF is oh not UNICEF uh, United Way that's yes. a charity. Yes, that's tax exempt. Yes, uh, churches. Yep, tax exempt. Why is the NFL? NFL. Yeah. Seems Many question like. the NFL's unique exemption last year amid the league's domestic violence debacles, and some lawmakers began to push to end the benefit, which Congress created in 1966 to smooth the merger yeah. of the NFL and the AFL. You had to, yeah, to, to get that thing to work. The change is expected to have little impact on the NFL's bottom line. It should mitigate some criticism of the organization, and it's roughly $10 billion in annual revenue. Now, all the teams operate as, yeah. as companies, well, see, but the, the yeah. league is taxed. Well, and the league throws down most of the profits, right, to the teams, and yes. then the teams end up paying taxes. So weren't they saying that this is only going to cost the league like $10 million? Yeah. Which is just, you Dropping know, the bucket for that's them. A, that's like a, yeah, that's a rounding error. So who cares? In the tax world. Western China, um, there's been some stories I've seen over the last few years that China has this huge building boom going on, and they built these massive cities, yeah. and no one really moves into them in a rapid fashion. They call them ghost cities. But it's now, that a brand new, cutting-edge city. Brand new city, no one's living cricket, there. Cricket, cricket. Malls, stores, just the whole thing's built out, just no one's there. <laughs> well. Uh, a West, in western China, where massive cities have been built, apartments, homes, buildings are empty. According to the New York Times, real estate companies are using specialty firms who rent out foreigners to attend events. They believe that filling their remote buildings or their, their buildings with foreign faces, even for a day, suggests that the area is, quote, international. Thriving. And will lead to increased sales. Clients can uh, select from a menu of skin colors and nationalities. Whites are the most expensive. And desired. Oh, the foreigners play heavens. whatever role the client wants, including celebrities, famous athletes, diplomats, or just to be the city resident, just to show that foreigners want to live in this town. Therefore, uh, I'd like two whites it's and a metropolitan area. Yeah. Are you kidding? Uh-huh. Rent your people here. Rent a foreigner. There was a seven-minute like documentary. I'd like a professional athlete, maybe soccer player, and yeah. a baker. <laughs> okay. So rent a foreigner. What nationality would you like? That is crazy. You know what? The Chinese, why are they building cities that people don't want to live in? There's lots of theories. But it's not that they don't want to live in. In some cases, people can't afford it. Other cases, like the condo situation, people buy them as investment. Uh. So they have a house. They buy this when someone else moves in, but no one else is moving in and – they're slowly filling up, yeah. but it's it's it, you're building faster than demand is yeah. kind of what it looks like. This you know what they is. need? They need you know they need some an attraction. They need a pro football team to be there, or they need. Are, already have a team in place before the tax base. <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm just. All right, great. 
It makes Again, total sense. I'm not a marketing expert. Wow. Interesting stuff. Now, here's the deal. You know what they need? They need a Costco. If they put a Costco in there or a Walmart or a big box store, would you believe that if you had a Walmart move into the neighborhood, is that going to actually impact your weight, your BMI, body mass index? Do you believe that? Well, according to some research from our next guest, uh, apparently having these big box stores move in is going to impact not just your economy, but it's also going to impact your likelihood of obesity. Interesting research coming out of Georgia State University. We'll be talking about it after this break. Box stores and obesity. Is there a correlation? Up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, in 1960, did you know, here's a fun fact for you. From 1960 to 2012, the obesity rate in America has jumped from 13% to about 35%. Most of that jump has happened since 1980. And so why the sudden increase? You know, is it just that the foods today are just so tasty and easily accessible? Is Walmart to blame? Is it genetics? Or are we all just so stressed out from society that food has become a coping mechanism? Well, economists have asked themselves what may be the cause behind the abrupt rise in obesity. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, it's, it may very well be the economy and how the economy is pushing uh, some of our habits. Joining us is, again, uh, our great guest, Dr. Charles Cordemanch from um, the uh, from Georgia – where are we? From Georgia State, I believe, University. He did a study on this uh, basically talking about changing economic factors explain the rise in obesity. Dr. Charles Cordemanch, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Georgia State University is your home, huh? Well, well done on this on this study. Talk to us. What, what are you finding out about obesity rates and the and just economic conditions? Well, the uh, economists have been interested in the rise in obesity for about a decade now, and uh, really the you know so we know on the on the first you know the first level that must be something to do with eating and or exercise. Right. Um, the way economists are interested is that next level of well, why. What are the incentives? What are the specific, you know, environmental factors that have changed uh, over this time period that are inducing people to make different decisions about eating and exercise? So that's where where we come in. What we tried to do in this study is there's just been so much research about, you know, looking at a particular economic variable, maybe food prices, and and how that relates to BMI. And then, you know, it's been all so scattered with all of these different studies and what we tried to do is let's just take a big pile of all of these different factors that have been mentioned before and uh, economic factors and just put them together and uh, you know so we we categorize them by um, we ended up with 27 different factors and they were in uh, they were categorized as being either just general economic conditions like unemployment rates um, or being related to uh, related to labor markets, things like how long are we working, um, and then the other categories were 
related to the time or money costs of eating, exercise, and then smoking, since there can be a smoking and weight connection. Um, and so we put all these together, and out of the 27 variables, there were really two. Well, first of all, it was, it was really more the, the category that kind of dominated was uh, those related to eating, and uh, as opposed to the other categories. And then within the category of eating, the two that really jumped out were the rise in Walmart supercenters and, uh, and warehouse clubs, hmm. and then the rise in restaurants, just increasing numbers of restaurants per capita. And between the two of those, they were coming in and explaining about, um, about around 30% of the rise in obesity, and then you know, more like uh, closer to 50% of the rise in severe obesity, which is, you know, the, which is body mass index uh, five points higher than the obesity cutoff. And the thing with severe obesity is that's really where the, the serious health consequences start kicking in. Interesting. So that, that was a particularly striking result. So, so, what's, so let me get this straight. You're trying to figure out, I mean, obviously eating's a problem um, that mm. drives obesity, except you're also finding out that there were about 27 different economic indicators that were attributed also to the obesity kind of epidemic. And, and then you eventually narrowed it down to one of the bigger drivers is eating more, but you two of the biggest variables in eating more is we have more super centers, uh, Walmart super centers, and more restaurants going up. So we're, we're actually selling more food, making it more accessible. That's right. And, and it's, uh, yeah, so even in, in other studies, I mean, if people just look at, you know, so it's either eating more or exercising less. People have looked at you know, food diaries and time diaries and said, and it looks like it's more about eating more as opposed to exercising less. Mm. Um, and so then what we're doing is you know, starting to come up with some explanations for, well, why the eating more? And, uh, yeah, and I think it, it, it's as simple as uh, money and time costs in this case. I mean, with, with, super center, with Walmart super centers and warehouse clubs, I mean, the biggest – the, the biggest change there is just they sell food at big discounts, and then they also um, there's also evidence they kind of drive down competitors' prices when they come into a community. So, so that gives you might us not more, even ever yeah. shop at the Walmart, but still pay lower prices. Yeah, and, and yeah, money. Restaurants, we're talking about food availability, just you know, just uh, very easy access of and food that's not so good for you. It's it's such an interesting uh, correlation because, I mean, n- none of us would sit there and think, oh, there's a Walmart going in. I'm probably going right. to gain five pounds this year. But, right. but, That's right. But interestingly, th- there is a correlation, right? You're getting your food from somewhere, and if you can get more for less, hmm, let's get more. Right, exactly. And and so, I, you know, I think it's as, you know, I would guess it's it's as simple as just, yeah, the food, the food is getting cheaper. And, uh <laughs> You know, or to whether it's an extent of, you know, in the past people have been reluctant maybe to buy fresh produce at, at Walmart, although I think that's changed. But uh, and, and then with, of course, the warehouse clubs, there's this issue of buying in bulk, and maybe that could be, could be some of it too. But, yeah, cheap, cheap and available food has, it tends to have predictable consequences. Isn't that um, interesting? Also, and time. I know time was another component. Mm-hmm. Um, but talk about time because the economy – uh, kind of taking a hit the way they did. Not every type of worker took the same hit. Like blue collar workers, you know, are were are are uh, falling, not falling off the scale, but mm-hmm. they're dropping compared to white collar workers. And white collar workers might have more time in their days to go eat. 
Yes, exactly. So that's actually one of the other. So, so the twenty-seven factors. You know, the 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 restaurants and the big box stores were kind of the the two leading ones. But then underneath that, there were a handful that explained you know a few percent here and there. And one of those was uh, was the shift from uh, from you know blue collar to white collar employment. And so so that was one of those secondary factors. And you know what was interesting is we had another variable in there for that measured on the job exercise and that did not do it so it's the shift from blue to white collar employment but not on the job not because of on the job exercise hmm. so what is it about the shift from blue to white collar employment um other than on the job exercise that that could change eating or exercise habits and so what we think might be going on there is just the the routines in your day and that you know and at a white collar job and it's easy enough to just kind of graze at your desk all day yeah. or take a flexible you know to take a longer lunch this sort of thing whereas maybe in blue collar you don't have that kind of flexibility so yeah. it could be snacking at work yeah you you may not be doing like i mean a, in a lot of white collar jobs you got to go do lunch you got to go talk you got to take people yeah, to lunch yeah, you're absolutely. you're con- i mean so a lot of this mm-hmm. is around a meal and it's so interesting but when you think about it this economically also shows that we're having some economic success because we're building more stores, you know, that'll increase the tax base. We're building more restaurants, so everyone's uh-huh. happy. And yet what we don't know is it's also impacting just availability and and other indicators. Absolutely. And that, and that's the broader, you know, the the big picture view that economists have have sort of taken to this over years is this idea that obesity is uh almost a natural byproduct of technological advancement and just economic development. And you see that, you know, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Yeah. It's funny because people would be thinking, why are why do economists care about the BMI mm-hmm. and weight gain? Except mm-hmm. it's it really we, – we live – we're systemic, right? So if mm-hmm. the economy's down, I might be more depressed. I might be more inclined. I might have more time because I'm unemployed. I might – and if there's more options and opportunities, um, it, it does. It, it ends up becoming an economic issue as well. That's right. And, and on top of that, it's a uh, you know it's a it's a major public finance issue. I mean, with uh, the you know the amount of money being spent on obesity-related illnesses, and about half of the money spent on you know which is in the in the hundred you know well over a hundred billion dollars. I think the latest I've seen is about a hundred and ninety. Um, a year and the uh, and about half of that is being paid for by Medicare or Medicaid. Yeah. So I mean, this is a, it's a major issue as far as uh, state and federal budgets. That's amazing. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Charles Cordemanch, and he's a Georgia State economist. And some research he's done, you know, is is it's focusing on the fact that maybe some of these big box retailers and more restaurants that are going up, they also might be contributing to your weight gain. Uh, something you might want to pay attention to. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion and uh, get into a, a little bit more. You know what? What you know else we should be watching out for that might be impacting us as far as economic indicators that are, might be driving up uh, or at least increasing our waistline. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Would you ever believe that a new Costco or Walmart or Super Walmart or Sam's Club, could you believe that any of those you know, big box stores would be contributing to your waistline, the great growth on your waistline? That's, that just sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah. Is it doubling your ab size? Um, well, guess what? According to some research by our, uh, our next guest or our current guest, Dr. Charles Cordemanch, from Georgia State uh, University. He's an economist there, and he finds that obesity follows the growth of big box retailers and restaurants. And interestingly, in economic times, it's it's probably providing you affordable food and large amounts of it. And so uh, we're probably eating more. There is a correlation there. So again, Dr. Quartermanch, welcome back to the show. Thank you. This has got to be kind of a fun finding for you because... It's it gets people talking. Yes, it is. It's funny to see. It's definitely uh, gotten a, gotten a good bit of media interest, and, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. It's definitely everyone has a uh, you know with this topic, everyone has a uh, everyone has a view coming in, and then you're yeah. you're you know finding something that supports it or doesn't support it. And so it's some yeah, you're just blaming. When, the first time I read it, I thought, okay, because I've been to like a Costco and had some mm-hmm. you know lady with a hairnet pushing samples on me and I'm thinking is it just cuz we're is it just cuz we're eating more samples for free but really it's I mean these stores they do it affordably and you go to a Costco and you're probably buying a lot more than you might normally buy and a lot of stuff you might not normally need and it's just more available Mm-hmm. Good for or the you're economy. Larger packages yeah. of the stuff you would buy, and then it's around the house, so you're gonna you're gonna snack on it more. And, and it's good for the economy. It's interesting because mm-hmm. we kind of have always believed that anything that's good for the economy is good for us. Right. Not true. Well, I mean, and it can you know, and, and it's it's not to say it's not good for for us necessarily. It's just there are uh, there are often kind of, nothing is all good all the time. Right? right? It's uh, right. There, there can be consequences, and you know. We maybe are making more money, but uh, as a society, but we might be a few pounds heavier too. Yeah. Now, some of your um, skeptics are going to say, "Well, okay, if we're going to go there, then..." Um, and I don't know why I'm using that voice, but if we're going to go there, <laughs> I'm going to bet too. Uh, let's be real; there are also more, uh, um, you know, physical exercise gyms going up. There are more, you know, stuff like that. What's your why then? If we have more gyms, uh, more exercise, you know, companies putting their their sites out there why are we not losing more weight well we uh so that was one of the variables we put in the model as kind of a you know for exactly that reason was fitness center density too and uh and gas prices was another one in there that you know is is uh the price of gas goes up then you know then maybe that uh is inducing on the margin some people maybe take public transit or they're walking more or or maybe it's just squeezing disposable mm-hmm. income you know so yeah so there are definitely factors that go the other way um fitness centers the obvious one so we what we found is that fitness centers and gas prices both worked against the trend in some way in okay. a little bit of, of the way but but the idea is just simply that there's more forces or stronger forces going the other direction Doesn't yeah i mean there aren't some going going in the direction of against the trend yeah and, and i mean i think we love to think just you know people that are obese just they just have no you know no discipline but mm-hmm. the, i love this because it's it also shows how systemic our world is that mm-hmm. one little thing one little injury one little 
issue, one unemployment moment mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. can cause a lot of this obesity epidemic or oh, influence it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Does uh, did so. What are some other things that you kind of found interesting in the research of even if you just look at the other 27 variables, do, mm-hmm. does anything else stand out that that might be shocking to us as an everyday person that might be impacting a little bit our eating habits, our our weight gain? Yeah, so some of the other sort of secondary factors that jumped out um, – Urban sprawl, so the shift away, you know, again, we're talking about over, over a multi-decade period, and yeah. so there's just suburbanization and, you know, where you're just the, in general the more driving, heavy lifestyle. Um, so that, that was something that, that showed up as explaining a few percent. Um, another one was, was food stamps, um, and this is, you know, just, it's, again, it's just the budget constraint as it, as it pertains to eating. Um, you know, food stamps seem to be explaining a little bit of the rise in obesity. So more and more people are on food stamps. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and and so you know, again, it's the same thing with with WalMarts and, and cheap food. I mean, what you often have is this double-edged sword. About you know, on one hand, we really you know, food stamp for we, we don't want people going hungry, and so you have right. pro, these programs. And and even while I've got new research, uh, you know, very very new research talking about the other side of the coin with Walmart and with you know that that. Walmart super centers seem to be improving food security in low-income areas, hmm. right? So, uh, so reducing hunger, and so, so you often have this double-edged sword where, um, where on one hand these things are just cheaper and more available food is is uh, leading to obesity among some people, but among other people, it's maybe moving you from being hungry to not being hungry anymore, and. Yeah. and uh, so it's it's hard. It really it becomes hard when you start trying to go that next step and saying, "Was well, this good? Is this bad?" Or you know, it, it's really more complicated get, than that. Well, and maybe in your uh, work, it whether good or bad, it's it is what's happening. There's variables, right? And, and part of it, I think, is finally to be talking about the variable. And you know, we could, yeah, the food stamps, and we can get all mad at everybody, but the reality is too, it's it's providing a really important service and. Right. And with the availability of that money and the availability of stores so close, bada boom, bada bing, yeah, an extra five exactly. pounds. I mean, I didn't think about a driving commute. I commute a half hour morning and a half hour in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I'm not allowed to nap while I'm driving, I do partake <laughs> of food. And it's uh-huh. I didn't even think of just longer commutes might have us snacking more, eating more. Right, or- or even just to you know, it's not exercise the hour a day that you you could have been going to the gym. I mean, yeah. it can squeeze out physical activity too. Yeah, is um, you know, when you think about your reach research as an economist, where do you see you're going to keep taking this this uh, this study? Where, where do you what's next? Well, I think the the direction. It, so, so everything we've been talking about here is averages. It's it's uh, you know if. Uh, a new Costco comes in, what's the effect on the average weight of the people in, you know, the neighboring area? And, you know, what's obvious looking at the data is that it's not, the averages are just that, but that's masking that there's a lot of people, you know, when, when you look at the data more closely, there's a lot of people that don't gain any weight when the mm-hmm. Costco moves in. Sure. But then there, the, the weight gains are really concentrated among kind of the, this upper tail of the, uh, of the weight distribution where those people are gaining a lot of weight. 
right? And and so so it's trying to go that next step and say, okay, well, why is it that some people respond differently to these economic incentives mm-hmm. than others? And uh, whether that be, you know, you would talk to you you've mentioned both self control and genetics, and I think those are two yeah possibilities. I mean, you know, and, and I've got one study that sort of. Economists have a way of measuring quote self control based on survey responses and things like this, and you know, and it's not perfect, but uh, we do have some evidence now that it's the people with those quote self control issues as, as as measured through these survey responses that seem to be the most responsive, say, to food prices. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I think you could say, I mean, genetics could be a factor certainly as well, where maybe two people change their eating habits the exact same when they start shopping at the new Costco, but, but one of them is genetically wired that that's really going to be consequential, and the other one might not do anything. Yeah. So, 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 so a lot of this so is why, about why susceptibility. Why responding differently? Yeah. yeah. There's just certain groups. So there are certain groups that are more susceptible than others. Um, that's such an interesting – and there's no correlation, I'm sure you haven't studied this, to the People of Walmart video or picture campaign <laughs> that's all over. <laughs> yeah, so that could be. Uh, I don't know. I'm either just either the causal effect of Walmart, <laughs> yeah. or it could be selection of where you shop, right? Yeah, it's. Um, oh, that's just rude. But it, it's <laughs> the it's so it's so interesting too that we I guess we don't we just understand it. That's what I love about talking to researchers mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. it's just data, and you're just right. You're not as emotionally bound to the data, but the data is the data. Um, what what are the rates of increase in obesity? Do you, do you know the exact? Uh, I guess it's an average increase uh, for some when a, when one of these big box chain stores or whatever comes in. Let's see. So body so, body uh, mass index raise and obesity increase. Right. So I was quantifying it in terms of about a, a new store per hundred thousand residents. Okay. As, as being so, you can think of that. I guess as. You know, think of a maybe your county has a hundred thousand residents, and and uh, and you know that then that would be one new store. If you're in a county with say a million people, it'd be ten new stores. Right, kind of a lot. But uh, you know, so into a smaller size area, one new store. You know, on average, you're you might be talking about a three pound weight gain across the population. <laughs> so it's not you know. So again, that's the difference. Yeah. That's where the the differential effects matter so much because right. everyone was just gaining three pounds. Maybe that's you know, not super consequential, but it's more that some people are gaining 10 pounds and 15 pounds, and then a lot of other people are gaining zero, zero. right? Yeah. So and, and it's interesting because the one that's gaining zero might be the one that actually created the policy and, yeah, and, the, exactly. and, yeah. and moving everybody right. in. I, mean, what would be, I think what would be fascinating is if everyone could just gain the weight, then we'd be like, oh, do we really need a Costco and a Sam's Club <laughs> and a Walmart superstore? I mean, it, it, so so really, if I had those three move into my neighborhood, I might have a chance of gaining nine pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is scary. Yeah, um, or is yeah, it compounding yeah, like that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man! Well, you've got uh, you've got some fun research ahead of you. Thanks. Um, is there? And, and again, we're all different, but I guess we could pay attention to it. Pay attention oh. to our own habits, our own patterns. Is that one of exactly. your suggestions? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's the, you know, in part, just this is where awareness can help. Um, but yeah, I mean, this all goes back to it's not like it's not like you're gaining nine pounds literally because those stores moved in right. to your neighborhood. I mean, it's, you know, you're doing something to, to gain the weight in response. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think, yeah, the thing is, um, yeah, I think of it as, as uh, 
just, you know, it's like, like a red flag comes up, you know, yeah. if you know that restaurants and cheap food and available food, it can be a problem for at least some people, then you can be aware, you know, going in. And, and in particular, there were a lot of exciting research, I think, is going here is in is talking about kind of moving past just rational responses to incentives and thinking about, you know, more from a you know, psychological perspective of, we you know, people have, you can think of it as hot states and cold states, where you're normally in a cold, rational state, and, and then every now and then there could be an impulse trigger that pushes you into this hot state, and then that's where you make these impulse decisions. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so I think, I, I tend to think that's a lot of what you have going on here. I mean, you think about, you think about a, a big box store, I mean, you might go in with an idea in your head of what you want to shop for, and then you go in there and you see the displays or the fancy of the samples, right? Yeah. The samples could matter. You have a sample, and then you say, oh, I'm going to buy the whole thing. Um, and then so it's triggering those impulses, and, of course, the stores do that on purpose. You bet. Um, and, and then with restaurants, even maybe more so, I mean, you might go in, they say, and I'm going to order this salad, and then you get in there and you smell something or see something, <laughs> and, and when the moment you get up to the counter, you do something else. So I think the, uh, you know, in terms of advice, I mean, y- you want the cold state to be making the decisions as much as, as, much as you can. And, uh, and I think what that means is preparation in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. This is where if you have a carefully planned, written-out shopping list going into the Walmart, you've you got a better chance of sticking to it. That's if right. Reading the online menus of the restaurant before going in, maybe checking out the nutritional information, make, it, make a decision going in, you've got a better chance of sticking to it. And so I think these are the sort of practical things people can do. It's basic common sense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Charles Cordomanch, we appreciate your great uh, research, interesting discussion as well, and, uh, you know, makes me feel better. Uh, so uh, let me get this clear one more time. I actually have to eat the food. It's not just Walmart moving in that makes me gain weight. That's right. It's not something in the air. Okay. You actually have to, to go there and eat the food. Okay. That's good. <laughs> good stuff. Appreciate you, Charles. Great oh, thank work. Thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. Out of Georgia State. Uh, interesting stuff. You don't think about that. You're like, oh, yay, we got a Walmart. Yay, we got a Costco. You know, good stuff. Not These are great economic opportunities. And it makes food cheaper. So you might buy more. You might eat more. That's a really good idea. Go in cold, maybe with a really full belly before you go shopping at these places. We'll take a break, my friends. Just trying to give you uh, some information, uh, help you uh, create a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, who would have thunk? Would you have ever, ever in your life thought that a big box store would make you gain weight? And then you go into some of these big box stores and you're like, something's going on. Well, it doesn't. No, it does. The store itself actually... <laughs> adds, it's your personal choices. Adds three pounds to your belly. To your belly. There are people, though, that are susceptible and we would say, well, then grow some character. Yes. Sure. Right. And the guy that's got bad genes, doesn't know he even has bad genes, and is working 85 hours a week, picks up some corn dogs. Have you had a bad corn dog? No. You, 
Corn dogs are great. Corn dogs are gifts from heaven. <clears throat> I used to eat corn dogs for breakfast. Ah, that sounds great. At first it was two, then it was three. Well, you want a balanced breakfast. Sometimes. And then at three, it's an odd breakfast. I wanted an even one, so I had four. You know what? I used to love a muffin here and there <laughs> until somebody said, hey, muffin top. No, until I figured out how much, how many calories are in one muffin. Yeah, Ten, the- 10 million. Yeah. 10 million calories, one muffin. That's close to the actual number, yeah. Ten million. Seriously, yeah. it's it's a it's a bomb. It's a it's a calorie bomb. It's but, a caloric, but it's good killer. Though. It tastes oh, really yummy. Good. Yeah, yummy. Costco sells great muffins. Absolutely, a whole like twelve box of them are. Flat my heart is racing right now because my wife went to Costco yesterday. We have all these muffins at home. There you go. I can't eat them because I can't afford ten million calories. For breakfast. Just keep walking. You'll be fine. That's why I need protein and get a corn dog for breakfast. Is there protein in a corn dog? Oh, yeah. There's a hot dog in the middle. No, so that's the question. Is there actual protein in the hot dog? Whatever's in the hot dog. It's protein. May or may not qualify as protein. It may be bone meal. It depends. <laughs> Whatever it is, it sounds really yummy. Any other headlines? The, today, Change my thought t- here. Today is National Zipper Day. Oh. So uh, if you think about it, how many items in your closet use a zipper? Everybody check your zipper right now. How many times do you, or how many items do you own that are held together by this simple yet innovative invention? Some guy, Jimmy Zipper. Since the figure is much too high to count, just celebrate it instead, and it says, happy zipping today. Oh, that's a great day. Where would you be without your zipper? Every time before I get up for a speech, my wife turns to me and she's like, is your zipper up? You know what I mean? You make one mistake, okay? Yeah. One mistake you in front do, of a large group, and she won't let you live it down. And there's nothing quite as awful as a broken zipper. Like, oh, nothing ruins totally. a day faster than a broken nothing. zipper. I don't know that I've ever had a broken zipper. Really? You've yeah. been that lucky, that fortunate in your life to never experience that. Yeah. I buy heavy-duty zippers. Wow. Like on your backpack when I you're trying to zip it? You always, and it breaks. Oh, yeah. Backpack zippers. Those are just meant to break. Yeah, I guess so. But always splurge for a good zipper. That's some advice I'm going to give you for your wedding. Okay. Splurge on the good zipper. Good zipper. How can you tell if it's a good zipper? Does it zip? You got to hear the zip. If it is like cheap zipper. That's it. Is that a quality zipper? Do that again. Yep. It's a great zipper. Or you're it's, stepping on a mouse. It's the tonal quality <laughs> of the zipper. It, that's how if you know. Got, if it's got a good tone to it. It's kind of like when you thump a melon <laughs> that's what I was in thinking. the produce department. Yeah. Donk, 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 donk. In other news. Oh, we changed the Or subject. actual news rather than <laughs> are, the stuff are we done, that we are, are we done with that one? Yeah, it just kind of carries on in here. Okay. Hulu, the Hoop. online video streaming Hoop. service, Hoop. they have paid just under a million dollars an episode for Seinfeld. Really? There's 180 episodes of Seinfeld. They paid just under a million. Per episode? Per episode. Those guys are still making money. They, uh, they're they expected to announce this uh, either today or tomorrow, officially. They also purchased the 300 episodes and ongoing of the CSI franchise. How can you afford $180 million for episodes that we've I'm, all seen a million times? I'm going to guess they're in, in, in installments every year. Okay. And it's based, probably a 10-year contract. Probably. And based on the uh, projections that Hulu has for people signing up to watch Seinfeld. So Hulu has that much money. They think so. Think of all the zippers you could buy with $180 million. It's a lot of zippers. 
High quality zippers. An unmanned Russian cargo spacecraft ferrying supplies to the International Space Station is yep. plunging back to Earth this morning. Ah, boy. Apparently out of control. Somebody's in trouble. The Russian space agency is trying to reestablish contact with the cargo vessel, but it's struggling because the two-ton spacecraft is tumbling as See, it's coming through the atmosphere. Nobody's in it. It's just a... It's just a cargo, just a cargo, yeah, rocket, it's, and it's supposed. Shipment. I think it's supposed to come back. It's, oh, one it's of these, coming back, but now it's coming back out of control. Now you know why? It's because the iPad. Somebody yes, probably an iPad. There's an iPad just flipping around in that rocket, and so they're they're saying if they can't regain control of the spacecraft, it'll come down. Very little, if any, of the vessel will survive reentry into Earth's atmosphere because it's tumbling. And I guess the space station won't get those. The what delivery. It, I don't know if that actually made the delivery and is coming back or if they lost control beforehand. The story See, was not clear. They're going to be so mad because they, they were expecting something like, oh, I wanted my, I wanted my, my iPod. Nope, it's lost. A Texas commissioner yes. is making – he's a ag, Texas agricultural commissioner. Sid Miller wrote a letter to the editor of the Houston Chronicle last week calling for a 10-year ban on deep fat fryers and soda machines in Texas public schools to be overturned. We get get those fryers back. He, he wrote that in the schools. He wrote that the fight is not about french fries, it's about freedom. In response to arguments about childhood obesity and health, Miller stated that school districts, not the state, should have the freedom to make these decisions. I will always support decision making at the local level. Fat fryers in the school for freedom. <laughs> it almost makes you cry. It does. Like I almost I had a tear. I so was I, I was getting a tear. I understand what he's saying, but do you think he reads it before he submits the email and Stay out of our schools? Over deep fat fried fruit. If we want our kids to be fat and obese, that is the local decision. That's a nice ring to it, like freedom fryers. Mm. Freedom fryers. Well, we yeah. used to have freedom That's fries, really cool. right after yeah. the war. So freedom fryers in our schools. You know what? Wow, we got Baltimore burning. Yes, and Texas is worrying about their fat fryer. It's about freedom. Okay. Get off my back. <laughs> Can a guy not have a fat fryer? Oh, boy. I mean, I, okay, whatever. Just, you know, Baltimore's burning. Earthquakes. Earthquakes in Nepal. There's some important things happening. We just found out that big box stores may be adding to our weight, and you're fighting for a fryer. And you're wrapping it in a flag. Flags for freedom fries. Fryers. Okay. God bless America. Any other news? How much time do we have? Ten seconds. Yeah. Okay. Yogurt may not be as healthy as you thought it was. Ah. Really? Apparently the rest of the world understands that yogurt is full of sugar. Yeah. But here it's a health food. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I help, just grab yourself a healthy gogurt. So 4, 000, they did a study with 4,000 people nearly four, for four years found no correlation between eating yogurt and better overall health. Really? Yeah, it used to be. That's, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. That's women would, they would market it to women. Women are going to get healthy by eating yogurt. So it's good, but. And cottage cheese. Might not be helping you at all. Okay, good lesson. Good lesson. Okay, folks, we're going to take a break. Just here to help you live longer. That's all we want is that you live longer and that you get your fryers out of the hands of those government crazies that are trying to keep fries away from your kids. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour right here on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Why are you laughing? Uh, I'm not laughing. It's just uh, I was coughing. Coughing with that cheesy grin on your face? That always happens. Every time. I don't know. Genetic defect. Michael Pond is joining us, mastering the board. Well, I'm here every day. Yeah, but you're always like in seclusion. Yeah, I'm in this glass box. In the glass box, the cage we call it. Uh, looking over your shoulder in kind of a creepy way, uh, James Birdsall, soon to be married. Yes, here, <laughs> I'm here. Are you uh, Are you helping Michael figure this out? Because you'll you'll be very busy next week. Yes, I'm taking a leave of absence. Doing remotes, yes, from well, your honeymoon location. <laughs> that's still up in the air, air whether that's going to actually happen. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Up in whose air? In my air, it's pretty much solidified. Oh, well, we're, we'll, uh, we're still uh, debating. Where about that. where are uh, we going on the honeymoon? We're just going to Park City, Utah. Actually, so excellent. It's kind of a staycation. So that's close. You can call it in. So I'm thinking we do three hours a day, maybe two calls a day. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm going to have to make an executive decision. No. Okay, so just one. One really long call. Well, I think we can get it all in in the hour and 20 minutes that you're going to have at the reception and then done. Wow. I wasn't planning for that. So if we're going to have to do that, then I'm going to need to get take a little more time. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> um, okay. So apparently he's not calling it in. So that is your job. And uh, Terry's got to now figure out if he's not going to call in yeah. five, ten times on the show, okay. then we need to interview him and act as if he was calling in. Why? <laughs> uh, why not? What do you want to learn from this? What? Because you, you you have this philosophy. We bring a guest on. We're going to talk about the problem. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the solution. Yes, that's kind of how we progress through the interview. But with James, it's more like we just. It's like teasing a cornered dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not that he's a dog. I'm not saying that. But right. It's, just, it's kind of rude. It's it seems rude, but it, sometimes it's fun. It's okay. Fun. It's, poking a stick at the animal that's trembling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cowering in fear. I can see the fun there. Yeah. So uh, what I'm afraid of is next week on the show, without having James here. And the constant wedding updates. Who will we poke? For the last two months. Yeah. Okay. We need, I guess, Mike. I guess we poke Mike. Okay. Corner him. and We can get you an actual stick if you want, and you can literally poke him. How come you're now suggesting we get a stick now that you won't be here? Just throwing ideas out there. Mike's just cringed. Oh, well. See, it's it's working already. He's cringing, and you don't even have a stick yet. I know. By the way, this is an amazing thing. We just uh, Kaylee just walked in, and she's anyway can't go there. But uh, <laughs> the interesting thing producer. is, wow. When, when I when yeah, she's we, a producer on yeah, the show. not yeah. my fiance, yeah. not no the other Kaylee, um, Kaylee Danes. Straight. But yeah, anyway, when James came here, he had never been on a date in his life. 
Right. When Mike first came to the show, he had been on 1,000 dates had never been on two. That's what I've heard. Now, because of the show, James is getting married on the 2nd. Right. And Mike has a girlfriend, and they're very serious. All right. And as I'm saying this, Ben's in there like thinking – what the crud? Yeah. What about me? Because so we'll get Ben married. Worry, we'll get ben. Kaylee married. So everyone's going to be yeah. taken care of because of the influence of, of Doctor Townsend. Townsend. Wow. Wow. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know what? I just do what I can. I, I know you're a humble man. I mean, I don't want to be. I don't want to take credit for these weddings, but you are. They did happen because of the show. They're under your watch. They mm-hmm. happened. While you were on, there's on no the other show. show at BYU that's getting more of its producers married, and I look at it as job security. Okay, because I also do marriage coaching. Yeah, so when their marriages fall apart, bada boom, bada bing. You could be setting these up to fail, to have trouble down the road, and to, to, to keep the income coming in for you. It's a possibility. Okay, <laughs> kind of self-serving, but. Yeah. However you want to function in your professional life. Just trying to make a difference. Hey, um, any news? Anything going on in this world? Um, the, the, uh, apparently the curfew in Baltimore mm-hmm. was successful. Yeah. They had 10 arrests overnight. Those people were breaking curfew. Everybody else be breaking curfew. apparently stayed inside and followed the curfew. Uh, so they were able to uh, not have another night of violence. Shout out to all the people in the community that cleaned up and, and showed us what unity in the community really looks like. Lots of people out with their garbage cans and That's brooms cool. and kind of retaking the streets. Maryland's governor said there were 2,000 National Guardsmen and 1,000 police officers out overnight. It's interesting how all of that makes a difference. Yeah. Put some people on the street to uh, to push back a little bit. Uh, the Orioles, the baseball team, Baltimore Orioles, post- have postponed two games this week. They'll have a game that was supposed to be for this evening. They're going to have it at 2 o'clock Eastern. Okay. With nobody in the stands, yeah, an empty stadium, cool. the Baltimore Ravens will uh, have uh, canceled their draft party for Thursday night because of the curfew. Yep. So these events are taking a backseat to did the, you hear the bigger the, issues. Did you hear what the police chief said? He talked about our favorite moment of the of the day when the that mother, mother chasing the kid down. down yeah. that kid. I saw several that, interviews. I mean, that was with violent. Her. That was aggressive. She was slapping him upside the the head. (laughs) The dude had a mask on and was about to go cause mayhem and bada boom, boom. She she said she looked out. She saw her son, but she's why is he in a mask? Oh, I love that. And and then then on the the interview, it was like, no, no, you don't. And she went over and just grabbed him and threw him down and was like hitting him. He's running away from her and he kept hitting her. And he goes, you get back here. We're not finished. You know. Isn't that – but see, and again, the, the approach may not have been ideal, but yeah. that's where parents need to be. Know where your kids are. Parents should be getting those kids off the street. Yeah. You don't need a curfew. You don't need the National Guard. You just need a really strong single mother maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Makes a difference. Speaking of parenting. Yes. Philadelphia researchers surveyed 370 parents during a two-month period and found that uh, – we're letting our kids play with our cell phones too much at a way too early an age. Oh, yeah. Says the parents had kids between the ages of six and four, six months and four years. Most owned tablets, 83%, smartphones, 77%. When they asked, how old was your child when he or she started using these activities or using these devices, 52% had watched TV for the kids. Mm-hmm. 36% had touched or scrolled on the screen. 42% had called someone. 15 had used apps. 12 had played video games. This wow. is six months to four years. Yeah. That's that's the new babysitter. Here, honey. 
Play mommy, and, shh, don't talk. And the study found that 14% of kids under the age of one are using mobile devices at least one hour a day. I saw a, a baby using it as a teething ring. Yes. And then you know all the research about how dirty your phones are. Absolutely. That's gross. Hey, just stick that in your baby's mouth. But when they did the research, they found out that the number one case was, as you said, here, be quiet. Yeah, be quiet. Shh, mommy's talking to <laughs> Mommy's friends. Mommy's doing something. Shh, daddy's watching his game. Shh, quiet. Just play with this. Just play with this. Yeah, we're trying to stunt their growth yes. so we can have a life. It's brilliant. It's the babysitter. Parenting 101. Drexel University in Philadelphia is apologizing to hundreds of applicants who were denied admission <laughs> but then mistakenly received follow-up emails congratulating them on getting into college. Uh, sorry, you're not good enough. Hey, congratulations, you made it. Oh, <laughs> Whoops. Our mistake. One, one girl not that, quite good enough. One girl that was interviewed uh, got the congratulations, so she called her whole family. And, I'm in. I'm in. It's they great. My mistake. dreams are here. And then the follow-up email came a couple hours later. Oh, I'm sorry out. about that. I'm such a loser. Just kind of crushed that, her dreams there. So, <laughs> Come to whatever university. Crushing your dreams. Ron, one email at a time. Ron Dorff, D-O-R-F-F. Dorf. 83-year-old man in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Driven to despair by a $24,000 bill for his dial-up internet service. Are you serious? It usually costs him $51 a month. Now he's paying $51 a month for dial-up internet. That's that's probably the real robbery. Is here, it, but... That's the one that's like... Yes. There was obviously a problem with his connection. It was calling a long... His modem was calling a long-distance phone number <laughs> instead of the number it was supposed to call. $25,000. And the phone company didn't do anything when oh, the no. bill started... Racking up to $24,000. So he called up and said, there's obviously a problem. How do we fix this? They said, well, you got to pay. Pay your bill, dude. And and he's like, so he called the Los Angeles Times consumer reports guy who goes out and when he called the uh, AT&T was the company, he called them and they, they, oh, yeah, 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 we'll take care of this. Don't worry about that. We'll fix this. He won't have to pay the $24,000. That's obviously Who are you calling in Bangladesh for six weeks? Right. But at first, they dug in their heels with the with the eighty three year old man and said, "No, you must pay this bill." Listen, old man. He's on social security checks, and they're saying you need to pay twenty. The shakedown from yeah. the phone company. So they've backed off the and it said the FCC a few years ago was looking into uh, uh, ways to prevent bill shock. So when a bill gets to the point where it's obviously there's a mistake, yeah, that the company needs to step in and. Like or uh, suspend the account, sh- yeah. shut it down, something to stop this and fix the problem instead of just going. Oh, I don't know. You got to pay the bill. No, you know what they ought to do. Have you ever had? Have you ever received like a Christmas or a birthday card, and when you opened it, all this confetti falls out? Yes, I hate that. So, what if you opened your bill and instead of confetti to get rid of the bill shock, a Valium falls out? That could help. And it says, "Please take this Valium <laughs> before you read the bill." It would really settle you down. Be okay. <sighs> you know those. I got the greatest bill the other day. <laughs> it was for $24,000, but it came with a little pill that made me forget the entire thing. Oh, brother. Bill shock. There's a new word for you. You ever been so shocked it made you angry? Up next, uh, Dr. Paul Jenkins is going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about anger. In Baltimore, we see uh, a major you know, explosion of emotion People that have been suppressing their feelings, they're coming out. And a lot of times if we push them down too much, they come out in uglier ways. Dr. Paul Jenkins will be walking us through some tools, some skills to help us uh, manage our anger a little uh, healthier. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house is Dr. Paul Jenkins. He is our clinical psychologist. Uh, we all see him regularly throughout the week. Uh, he is uh, got a Ph.D. in psycho- clinical psychology from Brigham Young University. He's a member of the American Psychological Association and is uh, just a good friend of the show. He's a coach as well and has his own podcast called Live on Purpose Podcast. That's Live on Purpose Radio. That's it. Yeah, Live on Purpose Radio. I've I've been on that. That Where was fantastic. You've been a guest. I've been a guest on that show. That's right. And uh, you walked in today, and you're walking like a really like a like an 80 year old cowboy. What's that about? Oh, I've been on a horse. Have you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you seem to get a kick out of it. I think it's too. pretty funny. So you were on a horse riding through Bryce Canyon, which is in Utah, one of the great national parks ever. Bryce Canyon Beautiful. National Park, yeah. Uh, riding a horse. That's right. Uh, and you you're, obviously were wearing chaps because you've still got your chaps on. Yes. What, and my spurs. What were you doing with the horses? We were riding them. Well, back. yeah, you, yeah. But is this like is this like equine therapy? Is that what you're doing here? Well, it's it's recreational. Take the family. Is that what you did? Took the family down there. There are outfitters everywhere down there. Yeah, uh, different rides that you can go on. And this particular ride started at Bryce Canyon Lodge, and went down to the bottom of the canyon. Oh wow! Beautiful. And then back up. It was just a couple of hours. Did but, you ever just yeah, open beautiful. the horse up and just sprint just, that just baby took out? Off, yeah. Have you ever been on a horse when it's in full gallop? I have, actually. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's intense. It's kind, of, kind of scary. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it, you become one with the horse. Right. You know what I mean? You're just in Just fluid. that rhythm. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I do it every day. <laughs> I really don't. But I think it'd be cool. Here's the deal. This is why we need you, Dr. P. Every time you come on the show, we mm. have a catastrophe. I'm noticing that? a pattern. I think there's something about you. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston bombing, you were here for that show. Oh, uh, nice. You were also here for the the crash in the French Alps. Yeah, and the yeah. and uh, we also have this new uh, – the Baltimore situation. So I thought how could we use the great brain of Dr. Paul Jenkins to help us through uh, this situation? And I thought anger management. Mm-hmm. Now, the, not this is not to – negate the fact that the people of Baltimore have a very real issue that they have to deal with. And they've been suppressing their feelings in certain communities about the police force. And it just erupted. And it erupted and and there was a ton of anger that comes out. And so I want you to talk about anger, not always around the Baltimore situation, but what should we be doing when we're angry? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's helpful to understand where does it come from? Yeah. Where does it start? What is what is the nature of this thing that we're trying to deal with? And it starts with, well, two things really. There are two factors that we have to look at. One is a brain factor, and that's the way that our mind, our brain responds physiologically to threat. You, you Your brain's going to have a reaction if it's threatened. Absolutely. And it should. That's what keeps you alive. Yeah. We call it the fight or flight response. Right. So people are familiar with this. Anytime you feel threatened, you're going to have this natural physiological response. Apparently, I don't remember. I think the, the, the person that first coined the phrase mm. was a, named Cannon, and it was from like 1920. So mm. we've known about fight or flight. They called it fight, flight, or fawn. Mm. I guess we just fawn like an antelope and just stand there. And Sometimes we had freeze. Yeah, freeze is mm-hmm. what would be the newer one. Um, 
So this has been we've known about this concept that we have this instinct no, to fight or flight new. for a long time. That's right. So you the brain will naturally do it when we're threatened. Yeah. And this is a physiological response. So there are chemicals that are created and stored by glands in your body, including your adrenal gland. Yeah. And these chemicals are just waiting there for a signal from your brain that says, hey, there's a problem. Yeah. So a little alarm that goes Game off. Game on. Let's, let's – so is that what exactly. anger is? That's one of the components. That's, it's creating this adrenaline, this yeah. energy that's got to be released. And interestingly enough, this is a similar response to the anxiety response. Hmm. To fear. Yeah. But dep- and so that leads us into the other part, which is a psychological piece. Yeah. And that's our interpretation of whatever it is we're experiencing physiologically. So there's a physiological piece, which would just be the chemistry, yeah. the, the, hor- the adrenalines. And, and then, then there's a psychological, which is how we're, how we're interpreting the event. Right. So we're constantly attributing meaning to the events in our life. Mm-hmm. And as we... As we come up with that interpretation, anger is typically keyed in on a primary belief. And the belief is things are not as they should be. Mm. Something's not right here. Right. And that might be kind of like, well, duh. Yeah. You know, if you're experiencing anger, why? Well, because something's not right. Right. Do we make a habit of it? Like is is it – I always used to teach it's like a script Mm because if anger works when you're young – your mm-hmm. body might think, oh, yeah, d- just use that one everywhere. Right. If anger gets the reaction you want mm-hmm. and you kind of – you might be seen as a bully and then – is it just you living a, a script without thinking about it and it works everywhere so you keep using it? Well, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. It's a natural But you response. didn't die. Yeah. If I don't die, my anger apparently worked. I might be losing yeah. friends. Now, fight or flight is a pretty good strategy if you're living in the jungle. <laughs> sure. And you've got these these real tangible threats that are coming at you. Yeah. Now, you look at the people in Baltimore. Do they have a real tangible threat coming they, after they them? They felt like they sure did. Well, exactly. But that's the perception yeah. part. Yeah. But it's not the same as a big angry bear coming out from behind a tree. Yeah. Right. Wants to eat you for lunch. Right. That's a little different. But your your brain does not really distinguish between a real threat and a perceived threat. Well, and it may not even distinguish between a one bad cop that beat your dad up mm-hmm. 10 times and your uncles and then and all the other cops. You might mm-hmm. assume all cops are like that one cop and so it does feel like cops are a threat. Yeah, it's a story that we create yeah. in our mind. But it's interesting because we live the rest of the country might struggle with what's going on in Ferguson and uh, what's going on in Baltimore? Because we don't we don't feel police as a threat, mm-hmm. but other communities do, and that's where this discord starts to right. happen. But that's more you're saying psychologically. We just have a different psychological experience with police than maybe other communities. And the threat originates in the stories that we create in our own mind. Yeah, it's from the meaning that we're attributing to our experiences. That's huge. So the story yeah. is important, and so how we handle this. Is important because we we could actually escalate the belief that it's a threat, or we mm-hmm. could. So if anybody's minimizing this concept of a threat for certain communities, they're going to be like, "See, you're a threat too. You don't even right. know." What, and then it just exacerbates these stories. Exactly. Huh? Yeah. And then meanwhile, a boy is dead. Right. A real boy is there dead. There are real consequences. Thoughts have consequences. It's interesting. And meanwhile, I guess police have. 
the fight or flight fear thing going on as well. Absolutely. Everybody's got it going on. I spend some of my time training police officers. Yeah. And this is something that we come up with constantly, how, how to train and direct that response. Because obviously if we've got police officers out there in their fight or flight response oh, yeah. as opposed to a strategic intentional intervention kind of a response. Right. Uh, you have very different outcomes as a result of that. Well, and you – yeah, and, and bad choices mm-hmm. and really uh, reactive – I mean then, then – yeah. Most of the problems – you mentioned something, Matt, that the people in Baltimore have a real issue. Of course they do. Yeah. These things don't just come out of thin right. air. Yeah, it's not just a concept. But when you look at the issues we're trying to resolve, what's going to help the most, fighting or running away? Or you don't like your options? Probably neither. We've got to do something other than just the fight or flight. Something strategic, something thought out, something intentional mm-hmm. is going to address these issues much better. Any yeah. social issue that we're dealing with, fight or flight will make it worse. Uh, and, and by the way, same thing in marriage. Absolutely. Same thing in just the schoolyard fight. If we're going to just divert automatically to fighting or flighting, mm-hmm. you've you've just bifurcated to two choices, neither of which is really going to serve you long term. And both of which will make it worse. It's not interesting. And yet – and then that's what you see a lot of these community leaders saying, OK, we're going to ha- – we're going to – we're going to have a, a res- peaceful resistance conversation where we're mm-hmm. going to be heard. We're going to talk. We're going to be heard. And it doesn't need to devolve into fighting. We're not going to run trying. anymore, but we're going to talk. That's mm-hmm. healthier. It's another option. Oh, yeah. A healthier option. And without minimizing the real issues that are going That's on, right. let's just be very intentional about what kind of a response is going to bring about – a better outcome. A better outcome. And you saw that in Ferguson. I mean, eventually they had elections that that kind of changed the, the outlook of the city council. And it's hard. It's complicated. We're talking with Dr. Mm-hmm. Paul Jenkins from the website, drpauljenkins.com. He's the author of Pathological Positivity. And uh, today he's, he's talking to us about anger management. When we come back, we're going to get into your life. And he's going to give us some tools for how we can actually think through things, manage that fight or flight response a little bit better instead of just turning to anger. More on anger management up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking uh, Anger Management 101. For all of us in this great planet, we need to be able to control our emotions much better. Joining us is Dr. Paul Jenkins from drpauljenkins.com, also the author of Pathological Positivity, and uh, he's the shrink who expands your life. That's a cool line. That's my tag. That's a great tag. The shrink who expands your life. That's great. Now, expand our minds when it comes to anger management because Mm. what if I'm justified to be angry? Shouldn't I just be angry? Is that not being true to myself? I should just – should I not just have a chance to just Mm. ream someone? Interesting word you picked, justified Uh because anger is always justified. always justified. 
Well, in the mind of the angry. Oh, sure. Absolutely. There's a reason. People don't just choose to be angry. No. I, I, you know what? I don't want to be angry. Right. But you're such an idiot that I got to crush you. That you have no choice. That's it. You think I want to be this angry? See, it's an external. That's what I hear every time. Right. <laughs> I'm like, honey, relax. It's just me. <laughs> There's internalizing and externalizing. Yeah. And when you, when you see the true source of your anger. Now, I get fired for this, Matt. Yeah, because this is going to kill your business. I get fired for this. The source is inside of you. You're, okay, so you're saying your anger, if someone's angry, it's not the, – the cause is not the stimulus on the outside. You're saying it's inside of the person. Always. Oh, see, that's – they don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that. I know, especially when what's going on outside of you is so obviously angering. Yeah. It's, is that a real word? Can we use it, that? Well, it is now. Any word we use on the show is a real word now. Look at what's happening. This is something we call in psychology the fundamental attributional error. Mm-hmm. It's where we tend to attribute the cause of our feelings to sources outside of ourselves. Dangerous because it's easier if they're inside of me because then I can control them. I, can, I, I would focus on doing mm-hmm. something about it. If I blame yeah. you or the government or the society or the mm-hmm. cops – then the cops are the ones in charge of my emotion. It's easier to blame, yeah. but it's a trap. Yeah. So it was a quick example, Matt. I, I spent about 13 years of my career doing child custody evaluations oh, geez, for the court. That's so hard. This is yuck work. Yeah. Okay. Angry, divorcing people who can't figure out how to share their kids. Right. And guess who these angry people are blaming? Guess who they're blaming for all of their problems? Each other. Each other. Yeah. How soon is the ex going to make it all okay? Right, right, never. See, that's the trap. As long as you're blaming, you're also waiting for circumstances or others or mm-hmm. situations to change in a manner that makes you okay. Yeah. That takes care of your feelings. So what, now that's what do we trap. do though if – so I, I mean and it would be natural to be angry if I'm in a custody battle with a dra- drug addict that's a proven drug addict. Mm-hmm. And she's going to get the kids because historically she's been the mom and she's been the one that's there. It would be natural for me to be angry. But you're saying yeah. that anger even in that moment is somehow my fault? The word fault gets in yeah, our yeah, way too. It does, doesn't it? Because it's got that, that baggage yeah. attached yeah. to it. It so, doesn't mean you don't have a case. You should. No. There's a case here to be angry. You're never wrong about how you feel. Right. Your feelings are always 100% consistent with your current set of beliefs and perceptions. Yeah. And you can be dead wrong about that. Yeah. And in doing these child custody evaluations, it was so interesting because one parent or the other would come in and visit with me. Because you have to decide who gets the child, how much. You decide the custody. So I'm doing these interviews and as I'm listening to this parent, I'm thinking, oh, I hate your ex-spouse. He sounds like a jerk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't hate him? Yeah. And then two days later, he comes in, yeah. and I'm sitting down taking notes. Oh, while, I hate and your And I'm like, oh, ex. man, I hate your ex. She's awful, yeah. terrible. Isn't that interesting? But there's this interesting – we call it cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Okay, it's a mismatch between your belief and your experience, and it's not okay to be divorced from a cool person. Yeah, no, you have to demonize them. Yeah, so you create an ex-spouse to hate, and they both are doing this. Mm-hmm. But they, neither of them is really privy to their own thinking about yeah. this because we get so consumed in our own thinking. We know that we're right 
And therefore, we make this judgment that things outside of us are wrong. Interesting. So it doesn't mean that – so so the data could be right that really the data shows that this woman is an addict, maybe shouldn't have the child. Mm -hmm. And and my anger may not actually be about the data. My anger is probably about the fact that I have to hate somebody and I'm turning into this venomous person that I'm not. Is that my is that where my source of anger would be coming from? See, we naturally resist owning our feelings. Yeah. It's just it's a human thing. Welcome to earth. And it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It just means take a minute and and go to a higher level. I call this metacognition. Yeah. So cognition is thinking, metacognition is thinking about thinking. Yeah. Which we don't do very well or much. We're capable of yeah. doing it, but we usually just roll yeah. with whatever it. we're programmed to do. The fact that we're speaking English here today yeah. is probably something that, that you listeners didn't notice. <laughs> it's obvious. Until we stop doing it. Now then. I call it to your attention and you'll notice that. Yeah. So there are the templates or the, the automatic autopilot cruise control that we set our minds into. And it, it throws us off sometimes because – We'll, we'll make a snap judgment or automatically assume that our old story about something is actually the case. Hmm. And that's what triggers that anger. And, and then that stays – it keeps us stuck in that anger and that we could even institutionalize yeah. the anger, hand it down. Yeah, we should always not like this group. This oh, yeah. group of people are bad. Keep those stories alive. And yet in, it seems like the people that really make the difference in – change are the ones that recognize they're having the emotion. Mm-hmm. This is unjust. This isn't fair. Control mm-hmm. their emotion and go find a different way to combat it, a healthier way. Right. Something that's within your control yeah, and something that actually improves the situation. It's so, powerful. It really starts with that step of thinking about your thinking. P- push the pause button long enough to ask some good questions and to seek truthful answers. What's, what's a couple good questions that we should throw in there when we pause? So instead of just reacting, what's one we could ask? Oh, here's a really great one. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm feeling angry. Yeah. Okay. If and can... justifiably, let's say, really, you have Absolutely. been messed over. Yes, because people do things and stuff happens yeah. on a regular basis. Push the pause button. Ask yourself, what is it that I believe that has me feeling this way? Yeah, so think, think what's the paradigm that you're using? Yeah, it's thinking about your thinking. thinking. What else could we ask? That's a great question. Which creates a space, and in that space is where our choice exists. Yeah. So what am I believing that might be generating this feeling? Here's another really simple one. How do I feel about what's going on? Now, that's going to be obvious. Yeah. Ah, I feel ticked. ticked. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. How would I like to feel? Yeah, interesting. Now, just think about that for that's a, a minute. Because then you, then you have something to move toward. Because if I want to feel this way, then I have to choose a response that will lead me there. And it opens up a possibility because yeah. until you see it as a choice, it's not. That's right. It's just a reaction. How would I like to feel? What feeling would serve me well yeah. to move toward a resolution? That's good. Give me one more. What's one more question? So that's kind of future. What would I like to feel? Present. What am I feeling? Anything mm-hmm. else I could ask? You know, one of my favorites is what's good about this? Interesting, yeah. But ask it as a question. Yeah. See, usually that's a statement disguised as a question. What's, What's good, about, good about this? Yeah, what could it's it not be a bringing question. me? Turn it back into a question. What could possibly be good about this? And even if it's painful or difficult, and especially when it's painful or yeah. difficult, this is a powerful question. I love that. 
But make sure it's a question, not a statement disguised as What's a good about this? Yeah. With a judgment. Exactly. Well, Dr. Paul Jenkins, you're amazing. Appreciate uh, the insight. Again, you can find a lot of these ideas and insights on his website, drpauljenkins.com. Go to his, uh, his book as well, pa- uh, Pathological Positivity. Lots of peas there. Yes. Good stuff, my friends. We'll take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to check in with the guys from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Take us down into the dungeons, the dark places. BYU Sports Nation, they're hiding away in Studio B. <laughs> Jerem Jordan. <laughs> Brian Logan. I love Lord of the Rings music, man. Wasn't that cool? That's a great intro. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense why I was lost. I was like, what's Brian's going like, on? I know, Brian. I was thinking, what's going on? I know. Man? These guys, the guys that are around <laughs> us, Brian, they're not like us. I, okay. They're kind of <laughs> creepy Lord of the Rings chasers. Yeah, yep, definitely. I uh, Me wants it. Know, I, I told uh, Jaron, was it a couple months ago, maybe last year? I, I've mm-hmm. never seen any of the Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. any of them. And oh, I went to watch Brian. the first, and uh, within the first 10 minutes, I fell asleep. <laughs> So I, I called you the bouncing hobbit. Like you need to, you need to see the reference for yourself. Gollum, you you are good at that, Jeremy. No. You sound just like him. No, no, you you know, know what you do. I'm not trying. Huh? Tweet, tweets just came in saying you've it's almost like no, your kindred haven't. spirits. That's a lie. <laughs> the tweets are rolling in right now as we speak. I love Lord of the Rings. Hey, um, that's we need to we need to get you a really strong intro that has kind of a Lord of the Rings energy and we'll use it every time oh if you play a different lord of the rings song just like the awesome yeah different tracks from that so you know what i've been watching star wars lately we've been on this kick of watching all i think we have return of the jedi might be tonight i don't know if we have time this to is you that. and the family okay uh-huh. yeah and uh, i was thinking yeah, you siblings. and brian oh no. in law and all I, that well i can relate to star wars now i can yeah. i can join the conversation yeah. you get that one yeah but you know so, what brian you need to go do you need to go do a blitz um, and just watch every Lord of the Rings show. You see, well, that's what I mean. I tried, and I <laughs> fell asleep. Well, but have Jerem there. Have Jerem there, and he'll translate. I'll oh, translate yeah, the Elvish. Good, the Elf, yeah, because you, you don't speak Elf <laughs> there, talk. There used to be a class at BYU that was Elvish. Really? Yeah, back in the day. I'm not not Elvis. I didn't take you it. You say Elf-ish. Elf. Are elf. you saying that because I'm like some short? No, yeah. not Elf-ish. Mm-hmm. The language is Elvish. Okay, so oh, that, that, that has nothing to do with Elvis. Thus saith the prophecy. Oh, my heavens. I don't know what we're talking about. It's getting way too nerdy up in her. Uh, up in, I'm so up in her. Hey, here's the deal. Did you guys hear about the Orioles uh, game today? Yes. Played what? in front of an empty stadium okay, due to I wanted to ask Brian this. Brian, and you can get in on it too, Jeremy. Uh, oh, let's thanks. talk something that Brian would really be interested in. Brian, if you had to go play your game in front of an empty stadium, mm-hmm. would that be— He did that. He played in New Mexico. <laughs> that is so rude. That is that is true. That, we, at New Mexico, yeah. At New, well, 
But we there had were more fans there, actually. There were fans, just we, even oh, if they were, were BYU fans. fans. The men's basketball team plays uh, Pacific in Santa Clara every year. They know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's empty. But if it's really empty, if it's fully empty, do you play the same kind of game? Or is it just more fun? It's, it definitely is more fun when uh, when it's 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 a full stadium. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I so BYU we, we does a good job of selling out the, the football stadiums, and um, it was still a different experience than playing uh, away. Mm-hmm. You know, you obviously with home you have people rooting for you, but I it's just something about it, and I loved playing away because. The fans are just so rude, and you hear all these jokes. And you're so short. My son is five years old. He's taller than you. And oh, what are you doing on the field? And so I just thrive on those things. That motivated you. It, it, it motivates you, but but at the same time, I think I think it's it's more fun than it uh, you know than it actually being a motivating factor because it's like, dude, I you're in the stands. Like I'm I'm still here playing. Yeah, I'm so still it, here. It isn't, you know, I don't I don't take it to the heart too much, but. Uh, as far as it being just fun and being able to interact and talk smack right back to them, <laughs> that's what that's what I love about about the sport. You know, with with fans home, it, it, when they and they, you know, I give up a touchdown, I'm like, oh, you suck. I can't really say. Well, <laughs> what they really you know, said, yeah, yeah, I can't really say. Isn't it funny, back. Brian, that you you are motivated by fans that talk smack, and Jerem is motivated by Gollum. <laughs> yep, that's the difference. That it's is true. Like a good Gollum quote just makes Jerem light up. Yeah, we sh- we should we should we should do play some more Lord of the Ring clips or oh man, you know, music or something during you know before we get on the on the show. I think it would be hard. To, I think it'd be hard to just yeah. stay excited about the game. It's almost like a scrimmage, and you know, it's kind of like a golf game if when no empty. one's watching. You just kind of throw the ball down. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be, trees. Kinda, it'd be kind of weird to... You'd be to, able to hear each other play. for once. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be able to hear everything, you know? Like, it would be weird. Psychologically, it'd be hard. Yeah, you'd have to focus Yeah, I spe- in well, a different I, way. Think from a football standpoint, right? Because there's so many checks going on and yeah. audibles. Um, you'd be able to hear everybody's... <laughs> Every, and wait a minute, they can hear us. The offense <laughs> can hear us, too. It'd be like a chess match between the maybe linebacker and the, and the quarterback. That'd be more of a challenge, maybe, than playing than yeah. not hearing yeah, Maybe they'll play uh, crowd noise for them. Yeah, Pump yeah. in the crowd noise. That happens at practice. Sometimes they'll just blast music or yeah. whatever yeah. just Something. to simulate those conditions. Oh, interesting. So um, what's, uh, what's coming up on your show? Uh, f- first off, let's talk about what's tomorrow. Okay. Uh, tomorrow we are with Tom Homel, the athletic director, on set Big announcing yes. the 2015 BYU football schedule officially. Oh, so there've been uh, a lot of a lot of information's out there about the schedule, but it's not official yet. Tomorrow it will be on our show. Any surprises? Any 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 spot you that watch hasn't been to filled? know, man? I know. I just want to know if I, I want to know if I need to watch. Come find me. I'll tell you off there. I'll just come downstairs. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, we're very excited about that, and uh, we don't know BYU's bowl game yet. So that's in the mix at some point. Um, so we're, we're excited about that. Today, very exciting show. We're going to talk about the guys that are in the mix to be, to yeah. be on NFL rosters NFL this draft. weekend. Whether that's the draft, which starts tomorrow and runs through Saturday, or via free agency. Who's going to be the longest tenured Cougar? Who's the most draftable? Who's the dark horse to make it? We'll discuss mm. all of that, including with one of those guys, Jordan Leslie, stud-wide receiver from last year. Yeah, Mike Littlewood, the baseball coach. They beat Utah Valley yesterday. Uh, they're on a five-game win streak. They're rolling right now. He'll be in studio for his weekly visit. And then Shaquille Walker. There's an athlete at BYU named Shaq. But Shaq. Not, not Shaquille O'Neal. Sha- not Shaquille, Shaquille Walker. Shaq. What Shaq sport? Walker. What sport? 
Track and field. There you go. He's the man. He, uh, he and his crew, he's been running the 400. The 800 is very fast. Mm-hmm. He's been on the show a couple times. He'll be in studio as well. Wouldn't you love to see Shaquille O'Neal on track? Uh, like a uh, hammer throw or something? <laughs> yeah, maybe that. No, uh, the high hurdles. The high hurdles? Extremely slow. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be entertaining. That would be very entertaining. Well, that sounds like a great show. Again, you're packing it deep and selling it cheap. Yep. You, that, how do you know our theme? That's weird. We just I re-branded. watch your show That's every odd. day. <laughs> yeah, BYU Sports Nation, where we stack it deep and sell it cheap. <laughs> you know what, guys? By the way, your desk, it's getting too crowded. You need to start selling some of that stuff off. You got a Selling's lot. Selling's not a bad idea. You got a lot of not junk. I'm not saying junk. A lot of goods. You need to move. We can sell a lot of this stuff on eBay. I think. Oh, totally. Right? Well, some of this is like, like my personal stuff. volleyball is on this set. I think we need. Oh, to yeah, take, don't, yeah. yeah. Hey, and if you're gonna get rid of any of it, we don't have any of that stuff for our show. So we, we'd appreciate any hand me downs. Any you know seconds. Any excess helmets anything or we can't game worn shoes. Yeah. Anything, anything we you can't, can't make money on, we'd love scarves. Yeah. We do have we have some random stuff on here. We have a swim cap. <laughs> we, have, we have what is it called a drag suit in swimming i was like oh wow, wow. okay yeah that's different I, yeah, dra- yep. yeah i was thinking of a different drag suit mm-hmm. um all yep, right jokes well, for days we're out of here guys great hey, we, ha- have a great nice show transition. we're out of here <laughs> yeah, I, we're gone we need I, to end now I, I gotta go before something happens before we okay. break something before don walks in okay thanks guys have Hashtag a great show. drag suits we'll see you, <laughs> see you bye oh they're crazy yeah, a drag suit. Hey, uh, <laughs> that's so bad. Um, Dr. Paul Jenkins hung out with us. You stayed around. Thanks. We need your we need your amazing insight because uh, what did you think? Give us a because you're a psychologist. You want me to analyze? I want you nation? to just analyze what we just went through. Right? Oh, there. that's a little scary. They, we have a really interesting relationship. I, I have worked with hoarders before. Yeah. You see their, their tables and, uh, full of stuff. On radio, you don't really appreciate no. the full visual of that. So go watch BYU Sports Nation. All you BYU see, it's like, you're, it's like two little kids looking out over the couch because there's just so much stuff <laughs> piled up. peeking up over the helmets and the shoes. But it, it's, good, it's good gear. It's gear. See, we and don't drag have suits. gear. The drag suit. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about that because I've never heard of it. Those are the, the running suits and the swimming suits that make it so that there's no body drag. I can honestly say I have zero level of familiarity with drag suits. Good. That's very good. Yeah. That's very good. So you were talking about uh, anger management mm-hmm. and managing emotion and managing anger. And you're saying one thing we do is notice the trigger, kind of pause it. Notice you're having the emotion. Then ask yourself some questions. Mm-hmm. And those questions will kind of be, what would I like this to look like? What of this? Uh, what is good about what's what's going on in this moment? Trying mm-hmm. to find something positive. What was your very first question that you loved? Change you change your questions. You change your life. That's it. And I'm I'm trying to remember what the first one yeah. was because that was so long ago, Matt. Yeah, I know. When you sat here, it's hard. To keep but notice the that you're doing going. it. I mean, your mind is constantly asking these questions, and if you if you intentionally steer those in a different direction, you'll have different outcomes. Because the questions, but if the question stays the same and you haven't, and the question is always outside of you, like why are they so jacked up? Why are they so mm-hmm. problematic? You are you are probably going to just say stuck, stay stuck in the pattern. Well, Einstein said something about how you can't solve a problem using the same level of thinking that created the problem in yeah. the first place. Yeah. So it's along those lines as you start to tune into. What is it that I'm thinking here? That was the first question. That's it. What is it? What that is I'm my here? belief that has me feeling this way? 
and, and track it back to the belief because that generates the feeling, which generates the doing. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Dr. Paul Jenkins, you did it again. Psychological calisthenics. That's exactly what it is. But it's, we don't spend enough time doing that. Yeah, it takes some practice and a little bit of work. Well, and that's – so to me, that's the hero. I always like to end the show on a hero. But really the hero to me, again, are the people of Baltimore that came out yesterday and instead of just reacting, they're going to change their community by pushing conversation and becoming one. They cleaned up their, their community. They're becoming the difference. They're checking mm-hmm. their thinking. They're not just reacting. So uh, uh, again, people of Baltimore – the healthy ones that came out and made a difference and are starting to change the dialogue and the stories. You're my hero of the day. And again, a role model for all of us in all of our lives. Uh, Let's just keep supporting and praying for the great people of Baltimore. That's the show, my friends. Uh, Back again tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to be doing a live show from the Women's Conference at Brigham Young University. We'll be right out front of this huge center with billions of women talking and helping us uh, make a show tomorrow we'll be back thanks for joining us again can't do it without you so talk again tomorrow